Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grilling JR without Jim Ross. Jim is still on the mend, but I'm happy to report that he is home from the hospital and uh, doing his rehab. He's got some help taking care of him there, getting up and going, and excited to be back doing what he belongs doing, which is being behind a microphone, talking about professional wrestling or calling the matches. But it's not time just quite yet. So, unfortunately, today, We've got a remix, but we thought, Hey man, WrestleMania 40 is right around the corner. What if we went back in time 20 years ago to revisit WrestleMania 20? It went down March 14th, 2004, quote unquote, where it all began at Madison square garden. Of course, that's where we would see triple H defend the world title against his former best friend, Shawn Michaels and the winner of the 2004 Royal rumble, Chris Benoit. We'll also talk about the now infamous Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg match. Who could forget Stone Cold as a special guest referee and the fans were not there for it. We also saw Undertaker versus Kane. And how about Eddie Guerrero and Kurt Angle for the WWE Championship? I still remember that finish. And who could forget the visual from the end of that show? You think back just a few years prior to that in WCW and you thought that's not possible, but it happened. It was a very loaded WrestleMania card. One that also included the return of the rock and the rock and sock connection. So it's going to be a fun time here on grilling JR. Greatly appreciate you guys support. We're pulling for Jim fingers crossed for next week. Uh, but I know that he's going to be back up and at him, not just on the show, but back traveling, making towns with AEW again. And I know that's where he's jonesing to get back. I mean, it's an exciting time for AEW as I'm recording this in less than a week, they're going to be in my hometown of Huntsville, Alabama. And I am pumped to see Sting's last television appearance, if you will. It's hard for me to even really imagine that it's finally over. You know, it felt like he announced this months and months ago, but as we get closer and closer, I find myself getting more and more excited and almost sort of shaking my head and wow, is this, is this really it? Is it really about to happen? But I guess it is. And, uh, I, I wish that there was a way where Jr. could be on that call. I can't help but think about the very first clash of the champions in Greensboro Coliseum with Ric Flair and Sting. I think that's one of, if not the first time that Tony Schiavone called a major show with Jim Ross. So to have them together again, and I guess Flair's going to be at ringside. There's just so much history with those. I know Jr. would have loved to have been a part of it, but man, God laughs at our plans every now and again, doesn't he? Uh, so we called an audible this week to help Jr. out for WrestleMania 20. Please, uh, continue to support the show and, and more importantly, throw up one for Jr. You know, this road to recovery is uh, never easy when you've had some sort of uh, hip surgery like that. And then another surgery on the leg. I mean, two surgeries back to back like that. It's tough at any age, but as Jr. would say, he's on the downhill slope. So, uh, man, those thoughts and prayers go a long way. So let's continue to send Jim some nice messages on social media and all that jazz. And just let him know that we're thinking about him and we're pulling for him and, and ready to see him again. I tell you what, I know for sure he's sleeping better than ever. Thanks to our friends at eight sleep today's episode and all of our episodes are brought to you by eight sleep. I say all of our episodes because my wife and I absolutely love this product. We use it. We are lifelong believers. Now the app that this thing comes with is unbelievable. It's created almost a competition about who gets better sleep. She or I eight sleeps pod cover has redefined sleep. They're leveraging data and technology to improve health in a way that really no other company's doing. And my wife and I have had a similar product before. We thought we had this figured out. We did not have the data. We did not have the information. Apparently there's levels to this. 
And man, eight sleep is unbelievable. As I said, I've tried other competitors before, but nothing holds a candle compared to eight sleep. I am such a big believer in this. The wife and I, I'm not even kidding. Every morning when we wake up, we compare numbers because they give you a score. How much REM sleep did you get? How much deep sleep did you get? What was your heart rate? What was your breath rate? What time did you fall asleep? What time did you wake up? I mean, it's really, really cool to see how much of your routine you're with and how much your average sleep is. And then it gives you a score. My wife recently got a 99 and I was jealous and I typed her a message and I was sort of upset about that. And my, my phone thought I was calling her a butch, but, but that's not real. Hey, I love eight sleep. You will too. It is a pod cover. So let me explain. It fits over your mattress. Think of it as like a fitted sheet, but this one is going to rock your socks, baby. You see the sleep science proves that in order to get your very best sleep, your body temperature needs to drop early and in the middle part of your sleep and then rise in the morning. That's exactly what eight sleep does. And what it allowed me to do is know, by the way, it's quieter than anything I've ever used. And the tech is unbelievable, but it also gets a lot colder. I mean, way cold. Now you don't have to be cold. That's what's great about this. It can be a different temperature for your wife. My wife doesn't want to sleep as cold as I do. And I'd love to climb in a cold bed and stay cold all night long. And that's kind of what I got mine doing. It just warms me up to wake me up at the end. But my wife, man, she doesn't want it to be nearly as cold as me. We sleep in the same bed and eight sleep makes it possible for us to sleep at different temperatures. The pod cover will improve your sleep automatically by adjusting your bed's temperature based on your individual needs. And I want to remind you, this works like any other fitted sheet. And it allows you and your partner, whether it's your husband or wife or whatever, to get the thing down to 55 degrees if you want to go that low or as high as 110 degrees. So in the winter, maybe you want it a little warmer. But in addition to keeping you at the perfect temperature, it's tracking the sleep and the health metrics. On average, pod users are seeing their sleep quality improve by 32% after just a month on the pod. I got to think that's low. I mean, I even feel like when I look in the mirror, like the whites of my eyes and those little lines that you get, they're all gone. I, I just, I'm feeling better. I have more energy. I give all of the credit to eight sleep. I mean, I thought I had this covered, but dude, there are levels to this and eight sleep has it figured out. There's just no better way to improve your day-to-day -day life than better sleep. And the easiest way to do that is with eight sleeps pod cover. So start 2024 the right way and invest in the rest that you deserve with eight sleep pod. Go to eightsleep.com slash JR. You'll get $200 off plus free shipping on the pod cover by eight sleep. That's eightsleep.com forward slash JR. 200 bucks off and free shipping. That's E I G H T S L E E P, eightsleep.com slash JR. And you're going to get 200 bucks off and free shipping. So without further ado, let's get right into it. WrestleMania 20 from Grilling JR. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? I'm good, Connie. Good to talk to you today, and uh, thanks for everybody for tuning in. We appreciate it. Very special show to talk about today. A lot of things, a lot of things in the news, but as we were talking before we started recording, you know, this, this show is massive. It's a huge topic to, to uh, tackle, so we'll be talking more in depth next week about uh, revolution and the impact that that event has had on AEW and, and the respo uh, uh, response from, uh, the fan base. It was a huge week last week for W for AEW. See, I almost said WWE. 
It was a huge <laughs> week. He did it again. Fire him. He's too old. He doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, but I, we, I, this show deserves all of our attention, I think. And, uh, it's really, uh, it's a special night, you know, to be in the garden for the 20th WrestleMania. So yep. I didn't work the 10th one cause I was on a little sabbatical. Uh, but I, I, I started nine missed 10. I think I worked, did something at 11, but, uh, I had a little shutout there when Vince was back in the, the lead announcer chair, but all these WrestleManias are special, but this one here was because of the Eddie's, uh, uh, Elevation and Benoit winning an unlikely, getting an unlikely win over Sean and Hunter, I thought was pretty incredible. So good show. And it, it aligned the coffers even better. Yeah. I mean, it is a pretty historical show for a lot of reasons, but I do think a lot of people still think about that visual of Chris Benoit and Andy Guerrero. Of course, we're talking about WrestleMania 20. This is going to be a big show. We've got tons of notes on this. Let's just jump right into it. Yep. The tagline is where it all begins again. It took place on March 14th, 2004 from Madison square garden in New York city. You draw 20,000 fans to the garden here. You've got 825,000 buys. That's a buy rate of 1.53 at the time. This is the third highest number of buys behind only WrestleMania 17 and 18. As a reminder, 17, 18, and 19 were all held in domes and stadiums, but sort of keeping in tune with WrestleMania one and 10 WrestleMania 20 is also at Madison square garden. And it felt like for a long time, all these big, even years, Jim, those were always going to be at MSG because we were conditioned to that for one, 10 and 20, but 30 was not there. 30 was famously in new Orleans and. They've never went back to the garden. Do you think in hindsight, given the big business that this one did, this was a mistake to not run a dome or stadium. Well, considering it, the number 20 and it st- all, all started here. Number one, WrestleMania one. And as you mentioned, and uh, 10, I don't think it was a mistake. I think it felt it followed a tradition that we just played out. And then at that point in time, WrestleMania just kind of outgrew uh, any venue even the world's most famous arena. So I don't think it was a mistake. Uh, it really felt special Conrad. And I know that tickets were hard to come by and they were expensive and so forth, but really it was, uh, I think, I think it was the right thing to do. I think, but I think it kind of closed the book. Have we had a, has, has there been a WrestleMania in an arena since then? Uh, no, I think they've all been major events since then. You're exactly right. Yeah. So if that's the case and we're accurate with our assumption this morning, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think it fit, I think it fits. So I know it felt special, you know, anytime, I don't know why it is. That building is really unique. There's been so many major events there, boxing. And mm-hmm. of course, you know, the Knicks when their glory years or and the, the Rangers and all this stuff. Uh, I just, uh, for whatever reason, that building is magical and it is the world's most famous arena for a lot of different reasons. But for somebody to win a title or to have a great match or earn a big payday in the garden is a real bucket list for a lot of people, including myself. I think, uh, 21 and 22 were both technically in arenas now that I'm thinking about it, but still it it does start a trend of domes and stadiums moving forward. But 
by the way, that's usually just so you can sell more tickets. And why do you want to sell more tickets to have a bigger gate? Well, this has 2.4 million in ticket sales, making it the highest grossing event ever for WWE at Madison square garden. There's more than 20,000 folks there representing 16 countries, 48 states. It's also televised in more than 90 countries. Uh, the event itself generated, uh, an estimated 13 and a half million dollars in economic activity for New York city. Were you surprised given, you know, the financial success of this, that this was our last WrestleMania in a Madison square garden, a little, a little bit surprised, but I could see the trend going toward large venues. Yeah. And as you said, you know, uh, you want to, you, you've also always got to, to, as a marketer or promoter, uh, the the supplies got to fit the demand and, you know, we didn't, we weren't able to do that. Obviously, I don't know how long this event took to sell out, but it was minutes. Yeah. And, and when you, like you mentioned minutes for people in 48 States, uh, minutes for people that attended from 16 countries. Uh, so it was a t- hard ticket to get heartbreaking for some fans that really wanted to go see it. But, uh, I, I, I think that. I think that it was a real, uh, special event. I just sense that we're going to move to arena stadiums, uh, all the t- full time in the future. And as you mentioned, I, I couldn't remember, I, I worked those two WrestleMania, the, this 21 and 22, but, uh, it just was inevitable. And I don't ever see it going back to away from stadiums and arenas Your next year's in Dallas, right? At the, at the AT&T stadium. That's right. And so. And then I know LA's on tap somewhere in the new stadium and all that stuff. So I think that's the, that's the permanent home for WrestleMania. It, it will be in stadiums, domed stadiums would be my preference because you don't have to worry about rain could completely eliminate that thought from your consideration. I always thought we were lucky when we had that outdoor show in the garden. Uh, oh heck. I don't remember what, what maybe it's 28 or something, uh, in, in Jersey. Yeah, it, it looked tw- like it was going to rain. It was kind of cool. So I, I think you can avoid all that by good planning. Just go inside, go indoors and fill it up and, and, and have a great atmosphere and a, and a, and a hell of a crowd shot. You talked about how fast this sold out. How about 60 seconds? Is that fast enough? Yeah. Yeah. Connor, this reminds me of your dating life. Your <laughs> I knew that was coming. Uh, of course, WrestleMania here, this is not just raw or SmackDown. It's both over on the raw side of things. Triple H is going to defend the title against his former best friend, Shawn Michaels and the winner of the Oh four rumble, Chris Benoit as for the WWE title. That's the SmackDown belt. Eddie Guerrero is going to be defending against the wrestling machine, Kurt angle. Um, WrestleMania 20, obviously this is going to be a, a landmark deal for the WWE you know, the big anniversary and whatnot. And this is also the media capital of America, New York city. Did you feel like this was more hyped or you had more mainstream coverage because you were in New York as opposed to another market? Yeah. Garden brings magic with it. It's magical itself. So yeah, it was, uh, it was well received. And the other thing that was a great, was great, very topical. If a, a media outlet that may not care to cover pro wrestling or sports entertainment, uh, from a business perspective, especially in New York, uh, they're going to cover the fact that this event sold out in a minute. I mean, that's, uh, right there with, 
you know, the most famous entertainers of all time. Uh, so I, I, I think that the, the media was kind of in awe that 20,000 seats were sold in a minute. Is that even possible? Yeah, it was possible. And then the buzz started on the secondary market because a lot of people weren't going to take no for an answer. I want to go to that event no matter what it costs. So, uh, that's kind of what I, I, I think of that deal. It's just like, yeah, the, the market was amazed by, by that. And it was a garden and everything is in the garden special, especially in New York city. Then the rest of the country starts spinning off with their stories on, you know, access Hollywood and entertainment tonight, et cetera, et cetera, because it now became a big story. It wasn't so much a big story, about the card is a big story about WrestleMania being 20 years old and WrestleMania selling out in a minute. It became a business story, not a card story. Let's talk about the only gates in the company history that would beat this number. Number five was 2.7 million. The prior year's WrestleMania at Safeco field in Seattle. Uh, even though technically Brock and Engel went on last, they sort of promoted Hogan McMahon as the main attraction for that show. Uh, the year prior, they had just over 3 million. And that was for the rock triple H and Lesnar at the Melbourne colonial stadium, not a WrestleMania show an August 10th, 2002 show, uh, on the, uh, first of April in 1990 in Toronto, Hogan and warrior drew 3.4 million back in 01. Of course, WrestleMania 17 with Austin and rock, you had 3.5 million and the biggest gate was, uh, from March of 02. 3.8 million for WrestleMania 18, even though it's not the main event, the featured match is Hogan rock. Boy, we see some, some trends here. If you've got the rock in there, if you've got Austin in there, if you've got Hogan in there, you're going to draw a box office. Uh, and, and on this card, we don't have Hogan and we don't have Austin, but we do have rock, but it feels like he's not in the most prominent spot, but still because it's New York city and because it's 20 and because the product is hot, we're going to still land on uh number six all time for WWE gates. So yeah, it was, it was a good rock is the thing about it, a lot of guys just have a propensity of selling pay-per-views. They're the kind of attractions and talents that people want to engage in, uh, rock Austin Hogan. Uh, I'm not sure there are others I'm missing and I'm not doing it intentionally, but there's a handful of guys that are proven pay-per-view sellers. And I think we had, you know, we had Austin on this card because he refereed the Lesnar Goldberg debacle. Yeah. And it is a and, debacle. Yeah. And, uh, but nonetheless, uh, uh, he was, he was, uh, featured. He's the, people knew he was going to be there. Right. They knew that if Austin's going to be in the, in the, in Wrestle at WrestleMania, he's going to do more than catch beer cans and have a beer. He's going to do something. And he did something, he, you know, I don't know how great a referee Steve is, or ever want to do it again, but you know, he was, he saved that match. And, uh, I don't know at the time that the two talents Goldberg and Lesnar realized what Austin did for them. They probably didn't think they probably disagree with my assessment, but the, if I only, here's all I will say to you on that deal. And we'll talk about that match more, obviously, if Austin had not been the referee in the Goldberg Lesnar match. What kind of match would it have been? Oh yeah. Based sure. on the reaction of the crowd. Yeah. You know what I mean there kid? Well, let's talk about what else could have happened. Meltzer would report as we lead into this show, Bret Hart and Vince McMahon spoke on February 20th to get WrestleMania settled. 
Brett declined doing the show. So that should put an end to those rumors. They left things open as far as doing something in the future. I think it's been inevitable for at some time that Brett would come back at one point and make an appearance on WWE TV, but I can't imagine him ever coming back for a storyline. As we expected, it's also official that Bruno San Martino had turned down the invitation to go into the hall of fame. Let's talk about Brett first. Do you think Brett was being pitched by Vince McMahon to do something on the WrestleMania show, or was he just invited to come back at this point and do the hall of fame? Hmm. Well, obviously any great promoter, McMahon's a great promoter would have tried to have Brett do something that would remotely emulate some of his previous, you know, physical triumphs there in that building, you know, his match with Owen and 10, the 10 or 11, 10 was great. And, uh, you know, you got to follow that even though it's 10 years later, but you know, Brett had several health issues and, and so forth. So I'm sure if Vince had his way. Like any other promoter, you would want a star like Brett doing something physical. If nothing else, getting a sharpshooter on somebody, right. or punching somebody, something along those lines. And of course, Brett's a great storyteller. He would have been a tremendous addition to the, uh, folks at the hall of fame. That was a very special hall of fame. Quite frankly, it's a hot ticket too. hot ticket for that. And, uh, so I think in a perfect world, he would have had he would like for Brett to be able to do more. Uh, but Brett just wasn't interested. He was not interested in returning that way. I don't know what Brett's expectations were at that point in time in his career as it related to WWE, but it sure wasn't obviously to be a part of the card at, uh, at number 20. Let's talk about, uh, Bruno for Br- a minute, Bruno. Here. Yeah, that's, I'm sorry. I was, yeah. Bruno, that would have been perfect for Bruno, but he still was, uh, not happy with the positioning of the genre and the product from WWE, you know, Bruno still had, uh, issues, uh, that were long, the deep rooted and so forth. And so as we will see, as we go forward, it was, uh, uh, it was just, wasn't time Conrad. He wasn't ready to do that yet. And eventually through, uh, triple H's, uh, I had a meeting with Bruno in Pittsburgh about this. I went to, I flew to Pittsburgh to talk with him. I think Jerry McDivitt and I were uh, sat down with Bruno and his people. He was very polite to me. He was always been a wonderful man to me, especially when he found out I married a Pittsburgh girl. <laughs> he said, I always knew you're pretty smart, but that, that proved it. <laughs> Married a Pittsburgh girl. I said, well, I did pretty good out kicked my coverage. Uh, I just think he was not ready yet. I don't, I think I didn't sense whatsoever the venom and the, or any hate or anger. I, I sense more frustration and I'm just not ready to go back there yet type scenario. But it's always, it was a very cordial meeting. And so later on, as we will, we know he, he finally made a, uh, made a hall of fame appearance. And, and quite frankly, it was very emotional. And the, the, I know the crowd went nuts to see Bruno. It's hard to believe a guy like that. Bruno was so over how many years, like, you know, he was, it's, it's kind of incredible. It is quite frankly, yeah, you know, so anyway, uh, that was the Bruno deal, but I do remember, I just now remember that me and McNivett and I meeting Bruno and, and Pitt, and, uh, I'm sure little Jan was along for the trip. She wasn't at the meeting, but the time I went to Pittsburgh or something, she had to go. <laughs> so that's cool. Good to have a travel. She was a nice travel companion. Let's talk about Andre's old traveling companion referee, Tim white. He hasn't been working as a referee 
since uh, a hell in a cell match where he had been injured years prior to this, but he tries to do his first match back, or at least one of his first matches back to see how his shoulder would hold up. And something happened on February 28th in Birmingham. It's uh, during the Jericho Christian match. He's in the ring and favoring his right shoulder. It pops out of socket here and it's popped back in later that night by the doctors. But Mike Kyoto comes out to relieve him in the middle of the match, but Tim white didn't want to leave. And, but after a few near falls where he has to count with his left arm because his right arm at this point was useless. He reluctantly leaves in the middle of the match and Kyoto takes over. This is a tough end for a guy who is pretty well universally loved in the wrestling business. Mm-hmm. What do you remember about this? Well, it was uh, unfortunate as hell because Timmy was really looking forward to returning. And of course you return it to garden and the side of many of his, uh, triumphs and his matches that he called as his career progressed in WWE, Timmy white was probably as universally liked as any performer in categorizing the referees as performers, uh, as anybody on the roster. He just was a stand-up guy and make no mistake about it. You know, of course the former proprietor, the friendly tap, uh, was not, he was a, he was a man's man. And I have all the respect in the world for Timmy. The, you know, I've talked this about this before, Connie, that the most, the greatest trait we can have, uh, at least in my view in recruiting people is reliability or signing people or working with people. Are they reliable? Are they going to show up at their best every single time out? And Timmy white was that guy, uh, always reliable. You know, he babysat Andre for years, drove him around in that van. Uh, the boss, they had a wonderful relationship and a lot of Andre's success or keeping him, uh, somewhat grounded and focused was due to Timmy white. Yeah. He was one of the greats, man. You hate to see a guy's career finish like this. Let's talk about Jeff Hardy. Meltzer would write at this point. There's no plans for Jeff to return as noted. His name was brought up a couple of months ago as being a last minute surprise entrant in the cruiserweight battle Royal for WrestleMania. The explanation given as to why it didn't happen is that Jeff is hard headed. His departure from the company was originally because he failed two drug tests and he was asked to go into rehab and refused since his departure. He still hasn't gone into rehab. This is something that Jeff has struggled with for a long time. You of course are running talent relations for a good portion of his run with the company. What do you remember about his circumstance here in 04? Was it quote unquote hard headedness that kept him from returning total denial. Jeff was in total denial, uh, like a lot of, uh, substance abusers. He doesn't, he just didn't perceive that he had a big problem. It's nothing I can't handle. And so, you know, when, when I sat, I remember sitting down and talking with him at a TV after the drug tests and so forth and him appearing to be, uh, you know, uh, affected, uh, not in the right frame of mind, uh, you know, just, just you know, on, on whatever pills he was taking. Uh, and I said, you know, we, we, we only, you know, we have this theory here, Jeff, that, you know, we either solve problems or we eliminate them. And the way we're going to solve your problem, if you agree, is that we're going to send you to rehab and help you with your, why are you doing this? Why are you purposely, uh, valuing getting high over your career? You're not going to make any money getting high. You can make a lot of money as Jeff Hardy, the, the superstar, and he, get, he was getting a singles opportunity. It was coming up. He had great charisma as we all know, phenomenal performer, but he said, I'm not going to rehab. 
I said, you know, is that your final answer? You want to think about this and get back to me later today. So we've got to decide today. Nope. I'm not going. There's no sense waiting. I'm not going. All right. Then we're, we're, I guess you're basically telling me you're done because we can't continue this way. It's not an option. We can't, we just can't do it. Uh, so, you know, he was wrecking Corvettes and he was th- all these things. He was missing death right. multiple times. So I, I, and you know, he was well, he was so well liked there, you know, Jeff's such a lovable guy and he, I'm so happy he's got that shit under control mm-hmm. and that, that's a blessing for him and his family. So, but he didn't, he didn't believe he had a problem and you know, he's an old redneck and a country boy and he just didn't want to, it, maybe it's a sign of weakness I'm admitting to. So what now it's a whole different mindset when people talk about those that yes. have drug and alcohol issues, different deal. So, uh, I was really surprised at that decision. And when I told Vince, you know, Vince couldn't hardly, he was, he was incredulous as well. You mean he's going to walk away from what, you know, we know we're going to push him. You know, he's got a great opportunity. Yep. So apparently he'd rather get high as to come to work. And so, uh, luckily for everybody involved for, for many, many obvious reasons, uh, he's, uh, he's climbed that mountain and he's, he's looking down on a past drug and alcohol abuser, but man, he had, he had, uh, he was primed. You know, we talk about the reliability thing. There's no reason that Jeff Hardy would not have been a great WWE champion. Right. Or, or, you know, uh, any title, but he, he just wasn't reliable. And how do you put your championship on somebody that you don't have full confidence that they're going to be cool. They're going to be okay. Can they take the pressure of being the champion? Can they take the pressure of going on last night after night? Can they take the pressure of, of putting the company on their shoulders and marching forward? And at that time, the, that, that was not the, it's not what everybody thought. They just didn't think Jeff was going to be able to hold up in that, that, that scenario. And part of that's just maturing and, and getting past it, man. You know, I, I, nobody was ever going to bail on him. And look, when we were ready, when he, if he, if he raised his hand and said, I'm ready to go get help. We'd have brought him right back after the help, after successfully completing a drug, uh, an alcohol program. So, uh, it was a tough time. It's just, he felt bad about that because now you look back and say, well, he wasted some time there that he can't retrieve, but, uh, he, he was a uh, hard headed as hell. Well, thankfully it is a success story. As you mentioned, he's yep. won the world title now with WWE three times and with TNA three times. And. I think something you and I never really talk about here is in order for these stories to usually have a happy ending, something you'll see in common a lot is they've got a good support system at home. And I think that was very much the case with Jeff as well. Right? Yeah. Being married to a strong woman that stood by his side. She tell me why did his ass? Yes. Stand, stand by your man. And so, uh, Beth, I think's her name. Yes. Uh, what did a real, uh, she was a great wife. And she helped him through this, uh, mountain of misery. So, uh, yeah, he was, he had a good support system, but the, the, it all starts with the offender Conrad. Oh, it all sure. starts with who he sees in the mirror. Yeah. You can't get over it until you make a commitment to step away from that lifestyle. And he just wasn't ready, obviously at that point in time in his career and his life to step away, but he changed his mind and. You know, I, I love to talk about the happy endings because this one could have ended a lot more tragically. 
No doubt. Uh, unfortunately, tragically, Ray Hernandez, <laughs> who we all knew was Hercules Hernandez passed away in his sleep on March 6th. Uh, it was reported at the time of death that it was heart disease, but for some reason his passing is never mentioned on TV or even mentioned on the WWE website, which feels like a gross oversight. Uh, any memories of, uh, Hercules? Yeah. Especially from mid South, you know, cowboy brought him in, uh, as a heel. And I think he was, uh, under a Mr. Wrestling two mask back in those days, at least part of the time, uh, Ray was a big, you know, he was all jacked up, strong, fearless. He, he fit rock watches bill very comfortably because cowboy knew that, uh, if Ray Fernandez went into a bar, he wasn't going to get his ass whipped. That was a big deal as we've talked about. So, uh, but he was, he, he became, he's really athletic for guys so jacked up. He had flexibility to move around real well. Uh, but was kind of a quiet guy. And I think that's one of the reasons that his, his passing was never over overly discussed is just the fact that that was his profile. He was a very low key guy, but I agree with you, Conrad, uh, we, his, his contributions to the business, uh, should not be erased or forgotten. And I also believe, and I think this may, I don't think it's ever been proven, but my speculation is the reason he died was sleep apnea. He had a heart attack. So as we, those of us that suffer from sleep apnea, uh, that, you know, you, you stop breathing. So your, your heart now is in strain trying to get air oxygen. And, uh, and so you hear Reggie white, same deal. Poor Reggie white, the great football player died peaceably in his sleep. And then you find out upon further review, uh, Reggie had severe sleep apnea and didn't like to wear his mask. Mm. So I'm just wondering if, if Ray Fernandez, that's his real name, uh, had undiagnosed sleep apnea. I think every wrestler should be required to take a sleep test. I think every wrestler in today's world should be required to take a sleep test. It's the easiest test in the, in the world. You get plugged into some little electrodes that can monitor your heartbeat and, uh, it, and you sleep. That's it. That's it. It's painless. It takes about three or four hours and you get your results back and there's a good chance it could save your life. So I know my life has changed immensely. I didn't sleep worth a damn in WWE cause I, and I just contributed it to my schedule and the pressure of my role and, you know, two roles of being the head of talent relations and being uh, the lead announcer on the flagship show. I just figured it was stress. Little did I know I had sleep apnea. And so Jan told our GP in Oklahoma, when we moved back to Oklahoma. She said, well, he's the other thing she said, I want to talk to you about is that sometimes at night he quits, he starts breathing. Well, that's, that's kind of serious. That's valuable information. Yeah. So I, within a 24 hours, I was uh, at a sleep clinic getting a sleep test. And hence the story continues that I was diagnosed and I stopped breathing 66 times in an hour. And it was just a matter of time before I was going to be, oh, Jim Ross, that wrestling guy, he died in his sleep. Good old JR's gone. Well, I didn't want that to happen. So sleep apnea is a big thing. And it, it's the same. I, and I would test the women the same as the men. Cause it doesn't know any gender identity happens. It happens. It even happens to children, but I think all the wrestlers, anybody performing for a company at some point should have a sleep test. And, uh, 
and make sure they're healthy. Do it for your family, if nothing else. Do it for your, the people that love you. And don't let something go undiagnosed. It could be so easily corrected. Let's talk about Triple H here. He's got a new book coming out, and uh, it comes out that the ghostwriter will be Mark Madden. And this is uh, kind of fun because once upon a time, Mark Madden was all over that lawsuit when the WWF was suing WCW back when WCW was a thing. But when the flare book got torpedoed, Mark Madden saved the day for WWE and they reach out to him here to help with triple H's bodybuilding book. Mark Madden has always been at the center of controversy and he likes it there. He's comfortable there. Another one of your Pittsburgh guys, he's, uh, ruling the airwaves there as, uh, people that I don't know, can become polarized. You know, nobody is lukewarm on Mark Madden. Either they love him or they hate him. Where did you land on Mark Madden? Uh, I, uh, I didn't always agree with Mark said, it says he's still got a hell of a, hell of a successful, uh, radio show there in Pittsburgh. Oh yeah. One of the most listened to men in the market, uh, and Mark and I get along great, but uh, like any other, anything else, you know, I, I don't agree with his philosophy on, on everything, but I, I respect his uh, opportunities and his, uh, ability to, t- to speak his mind and to, t- to tell us his opinion. He's a very articulate, intelligent guy. And, uh, he's a student of the game, a lifelong fan. I wouldn't be surprised if the onion was peeled back. Your father-in-law, the Nate probably cons- had a little consultation with triple H about his book mm-hmm. and probably touting the fact that Madden saved Rick's book and he can help you. So because it was a very unique marriage with, with Mark and, uh, and uh, Mark Madden and triple H. But, uh, you know, they, they did a nice book. I didn't read it, but it, it, it sold some copies and it was an interesting workout book and things of that nature, bodybuilding, fitness, things of that nature, things that Mark Madden would have very little knowledge of, <laughs> but he read like about me. it. Yeah. Like me, he, but yeah, he researched, he, he researched it. He's a reporter. He's a yeah. journalist. Yeah. He's a real journalist. And so, uh, uh, but you know, Mark was had a little hard, a little bit of Howard Stern type attitude, a little edgy, you know, dances to the beat of his own drum, but I bet Rick in the, and if you, we could, if we look back at it, probably had a little something to do with, uh, vouching for Mark that he would do a great job on this project. All right. We got to run a timeout right now to talk about our friends at Harry's. It came up again today at lunch. I was with my buddy, uh, JT. We were eating down at the boot pizzeria and the subject of razors came up again because my man is uh follically challenged. And another one of our patrons that was dining with us, Mr. Burns said, Hey man, how do you shave your head? And he did not hesitate Harry's. And he didn't just say that I'm a Harry's man. That's what he says. Harry's is the real deal. And I have found a true believer in John Taylor from my office. And I think you will be too. He was an early adopter to Harry's, but he's told me, and this is true, man, Harry's is a lot more than just shave gel and razors. They got everything. I'm talking about deodorant, lotion, body wash, hair gel. And not only are the products work, but they smell fantastic. I'm a big believer in Harry's now. I have to admit, I hadn't been on the Harry's train, but once I tried some of the other products, dude, they can take care of almost everything you need in the bathroom. These are German engineered blades that are made in their own factory. And that means they stay sharper longer. They even has customizable delivery options. So you can get refills as low as $2. That's like half what you pay for the other big brands. And you can get a five blade razor, a weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover 
for just $3 at harrys.com slash JR. I want to repeat that. We're talking a five blade razor, a weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover. Three bucks when you go to harrys.com slash JR. And when you're talking about some of the other products that they've got, the body wash, man, it, it, it's got a rich lather to it, but it also smells like dudes. Here's what I mean. Redwood, wildlands, stone, no lilac and lavender buttholes for us. No, man, we're going to smell like dudes. It's extra strength. It's high quality. And they've got amazing smelling deodorant. It's just five bucks. They've even got all your hair and other grooming products to fit your unique look and needs. But here's what you need to know about Harry's. And I mean this, they have the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry. Google it. They also offer a no risk trial. If you don't like your shave, no worries. It's on them. That's how you know it's a great product. When they're saying, Hey man, no risk. If you don't like it, no problem. It's on us. How do you beat that? That's real confidence. It lets you know it's a great product. They also have a very convenient subscription option and you can cancel it at any time. I think you're going to like Harry's. I know my man JT does. He calls himself a Harry's man and you will be too. Start and try it out. I'm telling you, you might start with just the razor, but I want to encourage you try the body wash, try the deodorant. They've got everything you need as a dude. Harry's has you covered. And why not go ahead and get a great deal? Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just three bucks at harrys.com slash JR. That's harrys.com slash JR for a $3 trial set. Y'all, how can you beat this? If you enjoy the show and you want to support the show and you're a dude, you need to check this out. Harry's.com slash JR for a $3 trial set. That's harrys.com slash JR for a $3 trial set. Check it out. You're going to love it. Let's talk about triple H though. He, uh, he does an interview with ESPN radio and he's not ready for the steroid conversation, at least according to Dave Meltzer. Meltzer would say he's usually calm and relaxed discussing any subject, but suddenly got really nervous and started stumbling when steroids came up in the conversation. When asked if he used steroids, he nervously said, no, he said that while athletes have gotten bigger in other sports, the size of wrestlers has declined, which he tries to use as evidence that few are doing steroids. He said he can't speak for every worker in the country, but overall there's no problem. And Meltzer says that's such crap. Uh, and he would continue uh, in his explanation to say, it's more than just appearance because you need to be able to tell a story, have athleticism and the right look and steroids get a bad rap because they aren't like heroin. And, uh, Meltzer says he came off very poorly. Once that subject was introduced, Vince and Jim Ross need to talk with talent about this subject because it's not going away in sports. And listen, we're not going to sit here and say he was doing steroids, but he was doing steroids. Steroids exist in wrestling and always have. Uh, I realize that the, the testing is obviously going to change and you guys are going to try to, uh, corral what you can, hmm. but as long as it's under doctor supervision, everyone who's ever been a wrestler says no big deal, uh, with the introduction of human growth hormone. That's also something that you're going to see in locker rooms, maybe not in locker rooms. I mean, I think wrestling fans sometimes think there's a visual of guys just lining up for steroid shots backstage at a wrestling show. And that doesn't happen, uh-uh. but, but the idea that you have this look that seems unachievable for anyone and you're 40 something years old. Uh, and whether you're headline in WrestleMania or you're number one at the box office in an action movie this weekend, 
Steroids are probably part of the conversation or the equation at some point, right? Yeah, I think it's uh steroid thing's uh it's this is me talking, Connie, the bad rap. Yeah. It's not a death drug. It's not like it's not unlike any other pharmaceutical that is consumed without a doctor's care and supervision. I mean, you can have you can have a anti-anxiety drug like Xanax, and if you abuse them, guess what? You're not gonna wake up. Uh, or pain medicine. The thing that I've always been, I've talked to guys about the steroids is that we take, we don't really take for granted the schedule that they had and the fact they do their own stunts. They, they get, they take flat back bumps hundreds of times a year, which your body's not built for. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a recovery drug as well. And nobody wants to talk about that aspect of it. So I, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit more benevolent toward the steroid issue in general, uh, but I'm not for it to be done without a talent being under doctor's care. Yeah. And, and if it's, if they see that they're taking too much or they need to cycle a little bit different with some space between the cycling, uh, and it starts to change their personality. And I've seen that a lot where guys have a little, I don't want to say roid rage because rage in, indicates people are just going crazy and throwing chairs and, you know, walking up and hitting somebody for no reason that that didn't happen. That's a little overstated, but I, I think that under doctor's care, it's got a place, but a lot of guys, because they wanted to save money, they, they, they didn't want to go through a doctor. Like some doctors wouldn't go for it. Some doctors had an open mind, more open mind, like I'm discussing here now. So I'm not advocating it for anybody that's, but if they're, you're going to do it, you should do it with, uh, under doctor's care without, without question, whatever you're going to do, you should do under doctor's care. Yeah. Let's also talk about, uh, the, uh, the marketing surrounding WrestleMania here, the company is touting. They've spent $5 million to advertise WrestleMania 20 and Meltzer would say, or Wade Keller would say, really, they're doing nothing more than fulfilling part of its contractual obligation to AOL Tom, Tom Warner. This is something that doesn't get talked about a lot, but as part of the WCW sale agreement, the company agreed to spend $20 million in advertising with time Warner over a five-year period. And uh, a source told, uh, the torch that the WWE was not obligated to spend 4 million per year, but it does have to spend 20 million over the course of the five years. So how they want to do it is up to them. But I think when people talk about the sale of WCW and then it went for $2 million or whatever it is. They conveniently forget all the other advertising that was included as a part of that purchase, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people just didn't know the know the details. Right. But this the story was, and the simpleness way of looking at it is that they that we paid two million dollars for the whole kit and caboodle, and essentially we just we secured the library. That's what what other assets were there to buy because I had to negotiate with the talents. You couldn't match everybody's contract. Right. I mean it's it was, it was, uh, wasn't feasible. So, uh, but I thought that was a creative way to, to make the purchase. I thought that was pretty cool. Meltzer would say while the indoor setting of Madison square garden drew a crowd announced at more than 20,000, which he thought sounded exaggerated. Of course it, he did. It may end up being the most lucrative wrestling show in history. The show grossed in excess of 2.4 million, which we discussed. That's the third largest live gate for a U.S. pro wrestling event but it's six overall in company history. As we ran down 
but this is also a time where we've got a, an increase in the pay-per-view buy. You're going from 39.95 to 49.95, and as we said, it drew just a ton of buys. Talk to me about the pricing strategy there. Do you guys have somebody go do a study about what the market will bear or does Vince or somebody in accounting just take a stab and say, let's just try it. I don't think there's any stabs taken. I think there was research done on what the market would bear and what other major pay-per-view boxing events and things of that nature were uh, able to command. You, you price it to where you think the market will tolerate without holding everybody up. $10 increase is important, but there was a lot of, there's, there was always a lot of communal pay-per-view watching. I know folks listening or watching us today can call, call back on a time where they had their buddies over and they shared the price of the pay-per-view and, you know, had six or eight guys there and they would eat and drink and laugh and gamble or whatever, you know, on the outcome. So, uh, uh, I, I think that what there was research done, no doubt marketing, the marketing people did tons of research on what the market would bear. And the conclusion was we can do 49.95 and it should feel pretty safe that that price tag is not going to run off, uh, the, the, the normal wrestling fan. And based on the numbers, it didn't. Let's talk a little bit about, um, WrestleMania publicity, because it's in the notes here from, from Dave Meltzer that he thinks this WrestleMania had the most publicity since 14. And I realize that seems like it's out of left field, but in the context of understanding you had Mike Tyson being a part of your main event there. Well, that makes sense. You were at both. Do you think this had as much, or was it even close to the Mike Tyson press coverage? Mike Tyson's magic Conrad. Yeah. He's magic man. And, uh, he's the train wreck or the wreck at the Daytona 500. You can't take your eyes off of. So Mike still commanded a lot of publicity. And I think a, a lot of folks thought that this would be the next phase of Mike's life that he'd be coming, become a pro wrestler, thinking it was going to lead to that. And maybe even a match with Austin, which is great fantasy booking, but I don't think Mike ever had the desire to. Uh, get it back into the wrestling ring or get in a wrestling ring period and train and to learn his skill. Uh, and you know, he, I don't think it ever interested Mike. So I would say that Mike probably got more publicity Conrad than, uh, than at his paper, his WrestleMania at 14, than than this one simply because it was Mike Tyson, right? The WWE hall of fame was a lot different back here. Let's talk about it. It, it goes five hours. Uh, right before WrestleMania uh, happens on March 13th, there's 2,900 fans in attendance. Uh, there are some guests and all the stars, of course, including the rock and Steve Austin, but they sold the tickets for 200 bucks. And that included a Sunday morning brunch the day of WrestleMania. So that's another 365 grand right there. But the ceremony itself goes five hours. Mm. And, uh, they said, Bobby Heenan was the star of the show. What do you remember that, about that, that hall of fame? He knows the star of the show as usual, by yeah. the way, who does add that you put him in any environment, any platform, any stage, he's going to outshine everybody cause he's that damn good. Uh, I remember that five hours is misery for those of us that have bladders, the size of a walnut, uh, tough man, five hours. Uh, it's just, it's just, uh, too long, but I, it was. It was emotional. They're always emotional. And, uh, 
I know a lot of guys, you mentioned Austin being there. He wouldn't have missed that event, even right. though the next day he's going to be in the ring doing something at WrestleMania. He's the kind of guy that loves that tradition and the heritage and the legacies of these cats. So, uh, but I thought it was a, I thought the, the, the list of guys that went in was pretty damn impressive, but it was just too long. And, and that was something that had to be addressed going forward. Yeah, this is quite a class here. Let's briefly run down who all was here as a part of this hall of fame. I want to mention the last one they did was 96. Uh, and that happened right before survivor series in New York city, also at Madison square garden. But when they're back here for WrestleMania in 04, big John stud goes in as does Don Morocco, Greg, the hammer, Valentine, Harley race, Jesse, the body Ventura junkyard dog, Sergeant slaughter, superstar, Billy Graham. Uh, Tito Santana, Bobby, the brain Heenan and Pete Rose. Eventually this is going to become a bit of a TV show and you're going to have quote unquote headliners. That doesn't exactly feel like that was the format here. Who was big on bringing back the idea of the hall of fame and letting fans attend like this. I think that was Vince's idea. I think it fit really well into the tradition of and the same reason that, uh, WrestleMania 20 was held to the garden. It fit into the tradition of, uh, the WWWF fit into the tradition of, uh, previous WrestleManias. I think that the one mistake may have been, uh, we, we inducted too many people. I thought the class could have been smaller and still as impressive as hell. And the guys then could have gone long and it wouldn't have been so, uh, abrasive, but it was just, it was overbooked, uh, and guys could have been left off and, and you keep them for another year. They come back another time. The key thing about the hall of fame that it has become a television show is, uh, it's, you don't want to induct too many people posthumously. That was a big issue for Vince. Uh, and of course it's become more diversified, much like our society. You know, there's, there's, they're probably always going for be a female, which is cool. Uh, you gotta make sure you're diverse, uh, ethnicity wise. And, uh, so it's changed its complexion, but it's certainly more of a TV show now than anything else. And, and the content is King. Just, you should, you know, that you're the King of content, so <laughs> the King of content rides again. Uh, so I just think we, we inducted too many people, but you can't look at that list and say, well, he didn't need to go in. He didn't need to go in. It's very subjective, but, uh, one of my favorite events is the hall of fame. I, I loved it. And I one of the reasons I love it is because my little wife loved to get dressed up and go be seen and see her buddies and hug people and sure. all the, all the great stuff she used to do. So it brings back fond memories to me, even though it was a five hour marathon and the next day I'm going to be doing a three hour pay-per-view and I got to be at the top of my game. But, uh, you know, I didn't get as much sleep as I needed, but maybe that put me on a little bit of an edge, which never hurts anything. Well, let's get you on edge here. Let's talk about, uh, well, a stinker of a match. It's Goldberg and Brock Lesnar. It's been promoted as being one of the marquee matches at WrestleMania. Of course, Goldberg was leaving after WrestleMania and it's been rumored for years that Brock was originally supposed to win the match, but ultimately the rumor in innuendo is that Vince wound up being more pissed off at Brock than Goldberg. So he switched it, but here's why he's pitched off, pissed off at Brock. Apparently things get very complicated on March 9th. Brock shows up to the building for SmackDown and informs the company that he's leaving. Uh, tell me about that day. I'm sure if you weren't at the building, you were at least managing fires from Stanford. What can you tell us about it? Well, he's burned out. 
He's burned out. He's getting bad advice from some of his peers, I believe. And uh, he had this dream of playing in the National Football League. And apparently he'd had that dream for many, many years, but he's been so focused and so grounded in, 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 in the, uh, in the wrestling world, amateur wrestling world that he never got to really do that. He played, he played high school football. I don't think he even played junior college football. Uh, and he went to junior college and won the NCAA, junior college national wrestling champion. I just think it was a, he, he, he didn't travel well at that time. You know, he, he got from a, a farm, a dairy farm in South Dakota, and now he's traveling the world regularly all the time. And I think it wore on him. And I just think, you know, that would have been something that, you know, we could have probably made better for him. I'll look myself in the mirror on that deal. You know, sometimes you just, you ride them hard and you put them up wet. And that's kind of what we did with Brock there, but he got burned out and, and he had a chance from his buddies with the Vikings that, Hey, look, you know, if you want to get the NFL, we can help you get a tryout. And luckily, you know, for him, uh, and which really fed the monster, he did really well in that camp. I think he was the last guy cut before the 53 man roster at without playing any significant, uh, without playing college football at all. So he became a, a positive story for the Vikings, the local wrestling star, University of Minnesota, blah, blah, blah. It was, it sounded like old school wrestling booking. And so, uh, I just think he was burned out Conrad, you know, he just, he, he, he didn't under, fully understand the travel. You know, when we had him in OVW, he didn't travel except by the ring. He drove the ring truck. He was a ring crew foreman. And, but that was all local stuff. You drive and you're back home that night. And that was not the case in, in his career. And knowing the trajectory of where he was headed, it wasn't going to lessen. He was going to be on the road even, uh, uh, more. Any international tour was going to include Brock Lesnar. And uh, any major events in the States was going to include Brock Lesnar. So I think he forecast all that a little bit and it kind of got overwhelming for him. And, but it was very abrupt. We were not ready for that, uh, that announcement that I'm leaving because it was obvious what we knew when we signed Brock, that he was going to be, he was special. We didn't know how special, but we 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 found out very quickly. So it was a, it was a little bit of a shocker and, uh, hard to, hard to digest and hard to process because Vincent felt like he was, he was doing, you know, we were treating Brock well and he was making a lot of money. And, uh, I remember, uh, I think the payoff, if I'm not mistaken that we be, uh, we did for that show is that I think he made 250 grand hmm. and so did Goldberg. I remember sitting in my office, uh, in Stanford and, uh, uh, Vince's assistant said, uh, Brock and the Lesnar's on the line. He wanted to talk to Vince and Vince wants him to talk to you. So that was my prep for that conversation. And, and, and like, here he is. So here, there he goes. And so I get on the phone with him and he's in a foul mood. Cause he got his payoff. Thought he got screwed. I said, what are you basing this on? Did you do a forensic study of the, of the finances of this event? Or did somebody tell you, one of your buddies tell you, you got screwed in your payoff. What are you basing this on? I don't know. You have to give me something here. You just, you didn't like it. And he said, I just think you guys screwed me. I said, well, we didn't screw you. And I'm sorry you feel that way. And he hung up on me. And, uh, you know, he was again, uh, he's a, he's a very unique guy. 
And I had to, hey, look, I didn't have a problem with him hanging up on me. He heard his answer. You're not getting any more money. We think we played you fairly. So, uh, but it was not the phone call that I would have, and, you know, I was, thank God uh, he was uh, on the phone and not staring me down the gullet. <laughs> He's a little intimidating. So that's how that worked out. We were really shocked that that was, it come to that. And uh, as a talent, the head of talent relations, I learned lessons on that deal. You got to pay more attention to guys that you sense are uncomfortable in your locker room and on your team for whatever reason it may be. And, uh, I should have been paying more attention if, and I'll take the hit hit on this deal, but you know, I just, I just didn't doc, uh, Brock was very, uh, impressionable. And he sometimes like the old deal where you believe the last guy you heard and the boys love to stir up the boys. Well, who's, who's in Brock's ear. Who's giving him this bad advice. I asked because he dropped Barry Bloom as his agent after he got him that initial WWE contract. In yeah. hindsight, Barry probably been, could have helped here. I mean, I don't know, maybe, uh, but who's given him this bad advice. Do you think? Well, uh, I would say the Minnesota contingent may be perfect. Maybe Kurt, uh, and Kurt would do it just to be honorary. Right. Cause he knew that he got, he can get you. Yeah. And to see somebody get rolled up in anxiety and angst, thanks to your prodding and your subtle positioning was a rib and some guys fell for it. Hey, I've had guys come to me and say, again, on WrestleMania comes in, they say, uh, I don't, I'm not happy with my payoff. Same story based on what, tell me what you're basing your, your, your unhappiness over. And he said, well, so-and-so made blank. I said, no, they didn't. They said they did. Well, they said that to you, right? Yeah. I said, so Jerry Briscoe was with me uh, on a lot of these meetings, very invaluable. Uh, and I said, Jerry, go get so-and-so that guy that well, the, uh, the, they got the big money that Dustin didn't get because it's about gold dust. So I got the guy in the room and uh, did you tell him that you made blank? He started laughing. Yeah, I did. Why? Why'd you <laughs> lie to him? I don't get it. And well, it's funny, you know, it's just a rib. Well, he didn't gold us. Didn't think it was a rib. Right. He ain't laughing. Did you notice right now? Right. So look at the shit you stirred for no reason, except for your own personal enjoyment. And that's the wrestling community. Oftentimes, if the boys see a weakness and they see some, some, some little crack in the armor, cause it was obvious that Lesnar had no cracks in the armor visibly, but, but emotionally and, and mature wise, he was in a world that he had not prepared for ever in his life, more money, more travel, more fame, more fortune. So, and he was having, you know, uh, fam, fam, not, I don't say family issues, but you know, he was trying to raise his daughter and, and, uh, the mar- marital or ex marital issues type things. He was dating Sable, uh, which it was a great thing for him. And it's been a wonderful marriage and they got great looking sons, but at that time it was just more drama on his plate. And so people process this information and differently Conrad. And that's kind of where we came to with that thing. So, but the talents have a way they knew where Brock's sensitivities were. I think a lot of guys took advantage of his naivete, uh, and saying, man, brother, you got screwed. We'll, uh, we'll touch on all of the, 
the drama around Brock another time, but what companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Wade Keller runs down a list of things. Number one, he doesn't like the travel schedule. Number two, he doesn't have a passion for pro wrestling. Number three, he thinks he can play in the NFL. Number four, he feels like he hasn't been appreciated enough when he's asked to put over Eddie Guerrero, who he considered too small and a guy who had never been on top before. Uh, He also wasn't happy with some of the European tours or international tours where he was slated. Uh, Number five, his personal life is in quote unquote disarray or speculation about what's going on with his previous relationship and now his new relationship with Sable. Uh, number six, he was embarrassed that the house show attendance shot up after he lost the title to Eddie Guerrero. Number seven, he wasn't excited about facing the undertaker after WrestleMania. Uh, and, uh, I mean, just on and on. I mean, th- there's a ton of lists here, including, uh, he's worried about the wear and tear on his body and he feels like he has nothing else to prove. The result is he wants out of here. And we know that he's going to try football, even though he never really played football, but he is one hell of an athlete. So let's roll the dice. And the result is, I assume a very frustrated Vince McMahon that he's spent all this time, effort and energy here. And of course, yeah, no different than you would, or me or anybody else. You know, you, you, you bring in somebody, let's say you, you brought in Kurt angle to be on our team and he's, he's doing a great job with his podcast every week. And then all of a sudden he decides. He's bored with it. He's tired of it. And you spent money promoting him, uh, gave him a spot, cleared, cleared the, the, the booking for the show. And it's not hard to get, it's, it's hard to get in our lineup. We, you, you put together an all-star cast. And so, but it wouldn't be so great if you got your top the guys that you perceive to be top earners, just get tired and just I'm burned out. So you're burned out sitting down once a week and shooting the shit. Well. I don't know what to do for you on that deal. So I kind of, I understand that, that Vince's apprehensions and look, I had some of the same ones, you know, it was Jerry Briscoe. Now that, that, that found Brock Lesnar at the university of Minnesota. And, and I had a vested interest in this guy. I believed he was the answer. And I, and I, I've never backed up from that analogy or that opinion. So, uh, anyway, it's all good stuff, man. I, uh, Brock was a special, special talent. And, but nobody knew somebody of the Vikings, he had friends in the Vikings, you know, he was a local hero in Minnesota, Minneapolis, especially. So, uh, I think that Minnesota contingent did a gust fight. Wade Keller had this thing down to all these different items, nine different topics, nine different points of interest here. And Wade Keller, ironically, is a Minnesota guy. So Wade was getting 
apparently inside information or reliable information, at least, uh, from uh, fellow Minnesotans. And you could, so you could almost hear what they've been telling Brock. You just read a list and that's the material they used to help dissuade him from staying in, in wrestling. Let's talk about the show. Here we are. Um, finally talking about WrestleMania 20. We've talked about the, how we got here for about an hour so far, but to kick the show off, Howard Finkel introduces us to the boys choir of Harlem to sing America, the beautiful. Great. And, uh, they do a phenomenal job. Great. We see that really cool little clip of Vince McMahon and Shane and Shane's son. It was Vince's first great uh, grandchild. If you're, if you know the family, that had to be a pretty cool way to see the show get kicked off. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. History, heritage, the legacy, the whole nine yards that, uh, that choir, my God, the boys choir of Harlem. I mean, they're, that was so special and, uh, it was great for them and their brand and what they do and the great works they did in their community. But I thought that was just a genius way to, to give it a New York feel, you know, in the garden, WrestleMania. Uh, and the choir was there. It was just really, really cool. So, uh, it, ha- it, it started off really well. The first match, it's a big one. It's John Cena pinning the big show to become the United States champion. Uh, they go nine minutes and 14 seconds. Meltzer says slow paced match and not particularly good. Cena used a sleeper that was closer to a face lock showed it a Cobra clutch. Apparently as a tribute to Sergeant slaughter, the finish saw Cena use an FU, but show kicked out. And Cena grabbed the chain, but referee Jimmy Corderas stopped him from using it. He throws the chain on the ground, and as Corderas picks it up, Cena clock show with the Nucks. He hits a second FU, and here's the pin. So we got a new U.S. champion. Cena is a crowd favorite, even if he is using some heel tactics here. And this is about to be Cena's launching pad to superstardom, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the match wasn't heavily. Uh you know, discussed in a positive way, Meltzer gave it a quarter and a star. Uh, but yeah, that was kind of John's kind of peeking through the door of fame. He was getting, that was a great place to kind of get underscored and pushed out there a little bit. And that was and and, sh- and shows not a easy, you know, he's there's certain things that show does amazingly well. And there's certain things that he can't do amazingly well because of his size. So you're kind of limited on your toolbox there. But, uh, the, I do remember the second FU was incredible. The strength of it's like seeing somebody deadlift the world. And that's what Cena did. He's strong as an ox. And I thought that was probably the most impressive thing in the entire match was not the first one was impressive, but then moments later, regenerating strength to do it again, I thought was incredible to say the least. We're excited to announce a new affiliate partnership with fanatic fanatics. Easy for me to say the world's largest collection of officially licensed fan gear. It's an easy way to support your favorite podcasts, shop for your favorite players and teams by going to shopsportsmerch.com. That's shopsportsmerch.com. Or if you're watching along with us on YouTube, just hit that QR code that's up on your screen right now. Or just check out the uh, description below for the link. We'll also have it up on all of our socials. You can shop with confidence for your favorite jerseys, caps, shirts, jackets, hoodies, and more with Fanatics. But be sure to use our special link, 
shopsportsmerch.com and that will support our show. Let's talk about, uh, backstage. We get Eric Bischoff telling coach to go find the undertaker. And this almost winds up going nowhere. Um, <laughs> we also see there's some, uh, tough enough alumni here at the show, like, uh, John Hennigan and Jackie Gata. Next up, we've got Booker T uh, teaming with Rob Van Dam to retain the raw tag team titles over Mark Jindrak and Garrison Cade, the Dudleys, Renee Dupree and Rob Conway. Meltzer would say the rules of the match, which were never advertised before the show or whoever scores the first pin would win the match. If that were the case, why would anyone tag anyone other than their partner in the crowd was dead. Uh, Van Dam was shoved off the top rope and crashed into the barricades at ringside. The Dudley set up a 3d on Booker, but Cade breaks it up. Booker hits an ax kick on Conway and delivers the Van Dam frog splash star and a half. This is, this feels like a, essentially a throwaway match just to get a guy's a WrestleMania payday. How far off am I? Not far off. No, you're, you're good. And, and you knew that the answer to that question by the response of the audience when all the guys came out, it had nothing to do with the ability to, to perform in a great match. Cause all those guys in there had that, had that ability, some better than others. But I think that, uh, it was a way to make sure that some of your hardworking guys got to work at the garden, uh, and, and on WrestleMania 20 and earn a payday. So, and I, you know, I, I'm not really, uh, we've said this before. I'm not big on that theory. I don't think it's everybody's right to work WrestleMania. Right. And so, uh, I think it's something that is deserved. And in this case, when you guys got, you got guys that, uh, like Booker, who's a hall of famer. And then, and Van Dam was, was a huge star. And then you got the Dudley's hall of famers. Uh, it's just, uh, it, it was a way to get those guys on the card and hopefully it would deliver, even though the backstory leading into it was non-existent. Let's talk about the next match. Boy, we've got a lot of a backstory here. It's Christian and Chris Jericho. They go 14 minutes and 52 seconds. Tim white, even though he has been injured a few weeks back. He's still the referee for this. And Meltzer was surprised to see him. He called this a strong match and they're big on storytelling here. Uh, there are a couple of botches, but eventually, uh, they have a cue for Trish Stratus to come out. She's going to be a big part of this. Uh, Meltzer really liked it. He gave it three and a half stars. Um, and it feels like, you know, they they're heavy on story with using Trish here. Meltzer would say we were to believe she was thinking it was Christian talking about an errant elbow to the face. Jericho was then pinned by Christian using the trunks, but Stratus started slapping Jericho around while Christian held him after the match. And then Christian left Jericho laying with an unprettier and the two left together with him kissing on the ramp as Jericho watched three and a half stars, maybe not quite the spot on the card. Jericho was in a few years prior to this, but still. This is a match that had a big story and a big payoff. I liked it. When you got great depth with a lot of talents that have huge skill sets like Jericho, show his uh, amazing abilities. He fits in any part of the card that you want to place him in. Because you're going to know you're going to get a great match. And when those two Canadian kids uh, hooked up, they had a little something to prove. There was some, there was some internet, some national pride involved in that scenario. They wanted to go out and steal the show. And, and for a match that was in buried in the middle of the card to get three and a half stars is a pretty good accomplishment on that, on that judging system. But, uh, you know, 
anytime Jericho could be in the main event and it'd work. He could be in the first match and it'd work. So, uh, that we had a little thing there with, with Trish. It's got a little, oh, I don't know, garnish, I guess in a nice way. It was a nice addition. Seeing her is always nice. And then, uh, her and that little edgier heel thing, uh, was, uh, she was very good at that role. So I, uh, I, I like that match a lot. Those guys really worked hard. They told a good story. They had a beginning, a middle and an end basic fundamental storytelling. And, uh, the only thing that I, I don't want to say cringe. I'm not big on the baby face going over and then getting the shit beat out of me. Right. I don't know where we are now. Who do we move forward? What do we, you know, where are we, are we going to continue the, this, the, the program, the angle, uh, if we are, then I can be more tolerant of that. But if we aren't, then I'm not sure why we do those things. It's 50, 50 booking. And there's a lot of that going on. And a lot of it's just done because they want to make sure that the, the talents are happy. Right. Maybe setting the egos. The next match is the handicap match. We got evolution on one side, taking on the rock and sock connection. Um, this had quite the build here. Uh, backstage, we see Lillian Garcia talk to Mick Foley, who's wrestling his first match in four years. And the rock shows up rock does a promo about finally being back in New York. And, uh, then we show hurricane and Rosie and he calls them the hamburglar and uh, grimace. Uh, we see Jimmy Snuka and Don Morocco, and, uh, it's a big moment. The crowd goes bananas when he, uh, when he comes into the arena, this is a big deal to see the rock. Now, one of the big stars in Hollywood come back and wrestle a match. And he's across the ring from one of his childhood heroes, Ric Flair. They get plenty of time too. Uh, evolution, pick up the win over rock and Foley in 17 minutes and three seconds. Meltzer would say Flair was in WrestleMania shape. And here's the real life backstory. This is directly from the observer. When rock was a kid, he used to say, when I grow up, I want to be like my dad, but if I can't be like my dad, I want to be like Ric Flair. Rock was just mimicking Flair strut and having fun doing all the Flair spots. Foley even did the elbow off the apron on Flair after Flair had taken a backdrop on the floor. Foley looks to have lost around 50 pounds down to 285, so he wouldn't be in bad shape for his return. Batista went Batista went to work on the rock. But Batista still doesn't get it. But since everyone else does this in the match, it wasn't a factor. Uh, Flair got slammed off the top and Jerry Lawler was treating this all like it was comedy and yeah, Foley did that. and Foley did well. Uh, Flair even did a people's elbow tease rock did the elbow on Flair and rock bottom on Orton, but Flair saved Batista hit the demon bomb on rock and Orton went for the pin, but rock kicked out. That got us a hot tag to Foley who did a double arm DDT on Orton and pulled out Mr. Socko. But before he could do it, Orton beat him to the punch with an RKO and a pin. The crowd went nuts for Foley after the match. Anyway, uh, he did the old Hogan after the warrior match three and three quarter stars. You had a comment when I said, uh, Lawler was treating it as comedy. Who didn't like that? Me. Okay. I didn't think it fit. Yeah. And I don't say that about Jerry often. I mean, it wasn't like it's egregious and it's horrible. It didn't ruin the match. But I know those guys are serious in their preparation. And the match was strange because it was a handicap match. It was three on two. And so I understand the theory of putting the baby faces in jeopardy. And you did that in this match of rock and, and, uh, Mick, uh, 
with the one man advantage. It's like a power play goal in hockey. So, uh, I, I, I wasn't overwhelmed with the setup of that match. I mean, you could have had a tag match and had still had the third, uh, member of evolution at ringside, which is like an angle alert, but to three guys, you know, it, it was, I liked the match quite frankly, but you're right. You know, the audience wanted to see rock. He had, he had left the nest, become even a bigger star. He was in great shape. He always had it still does this very day. If he came back and wrestled again, he'd still have it. So, uh, I, I, I enjoyed it. I just thought it was a little bit left-handed as the old timers say with a three on two handicap match. But as I recall, Conrad, we didn't have access to, uh, rock a lot leading into that WrestleMania. Now, the good news is we didn't need to have everybody knew he didn't need to be on a lot of TV, right. but it was a, it wasn't typical of a buildup to WrestleMania match because of his unavailability, uh, of, uh, you know, being able to be at raw every Monday night type thing. Let's talk about, uh, some news and notes from this match in the, the weeks leading up to WrestleMania flair had been working with an yet undiagnosed neck injury and a variety of back issues. He had a cat scan and MRI done earlier in the month but both were inconclusive about what he had going on. Uh, but they were speculating. It might be a severely pinched nerve. And Batista said of this match, the rock was making his big baby face comeback, And he kind of forgot his comeback. He's kind of just hitting me and going, what is it? I remember him <laughs> saying that to me. It was just so funny. He kind of broke character. He's in character, but he's talking to me at the same time. We're in the middle of this big baby face comeback. And the guy's asking the rookie, what the hell's going on? I'm like, I don't know. which is fantastic. Uh, I liked this spot. I know that there's been some criticism about Foley coming back. And I know Foley was really hard on himself and his performance here. I think Austin, uh, even told him the truth afterwards and said that wasn't very good. Uh, Foley was disappointed in his performance, but I know rock was excited about working with flair. And this was a nice story and a nice, uh, I guess added attraction. I like the placement on the card. I think this match gets a bad rap. What say you? Uh, yeah, kind of, I think people had the same feelings I did. It's just strange to have the handicap match. Yeah. Uh, you can see what's happening a mile away and I don't know if that's always a very good scenario. Uh, I didn't hate the match at all. I mean, is loaded with star power. My God, Conrad, you got Ric Flair and the rock in, in the same match and Madison square garden at WrestleMania. How bad can a damn thing be? Yeah. And how beloved so, was Foley here by this New York crowd? My goodness. And so at the end of the day, you know, Steve being very blunt and Steve you know, was a great friend and known Mick since the Dallas days. Uh, he was just being honest in his opinion. Yeah. But, uh, I thought that when Mick left at the end of the match and the match concluded and he lost the fall, the people didn't care. That's right. They got to see him. They loved him. He's beloved, a beloved character. Mick had worked hard on, on losing some excess weight. Uh, and so the audience was ready to see him, but when you throw a hall of famer, like Mick Foley and a hall of famer, like Ric Flair and, and of course the great one, uh, and the young Randy Orton, who's obviously going to be a hall of famer, uh, Batista was kind of along for the ride. Great rub for, for Dave. It put him in a rarefied air scenario, at least for that point in time and indicated bigger things to come. 
I don't know how that match could have been horrible with all that star power. Again, I refer back and your honor, I will rest my case by saying this match had Ric Flair, the rock and Mick Foley uh, in it. I challenge you to tell me how that can be come up with a bad scenario or bad verdict. So, uh, but I, I, I enjoyed that match. I enjoyed seeing rock back out there. I enjoyed seeing the real gleam in the eyes of talents that still loved what they did for a living or a, a vocation advocation, wherever it may be. So I, that you could tell the gleam in the eyes, you know, of course, Mick was very emotional as he is a lot and he, cause he cares. So I, I, uh, I know no bitches from me about that match other than I still felt weird that it was a handicap match. Didn't understand exactly why. And the reason it was exactly exactly why for me is the fact that, uh, you know, the, the, we didn't have rock to, to get us through the buildup and shoot the angles. And we should have had a lot of heat on rock and Foley going into this thing. Yeah. And then they got to wrestle three guys of all of, of, uh, you know, that significance. And it was great for what kind of rub you think Randy Orton and Dave Batista got with Nate and the fact that they won the match. So I, I, I think a lot of good things happened and were achieved in that match. And, uh, I don't have no issue with the three and a half stars whatsoever. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening wherever you listen. Let's talk about the next match. Uh, before we do, I guess we need to mention this does not age. Well, <laughs> we got Tori Wilson and Sable beating miss Jackie and Stacy Keebler in a playboy evening gown match. Meltzer would say rules were changed from being a stripper match to a pinfall match, but never fear everyone, but Gata stripped voluntarily wrestling and evening gowns suck. So they wrestled in bra and panties. They pulled Gata's clothes off because she wasn't willing. Wilson pinned Gata with an O'Connor roll. It was what it was. They teased a feud with Jackie and Keebler on raw because they were mad at each other, leaving a quarter star. Listen, this attraction match. Yes. It had its place on the card at the time. We're not seeing anything like this these days. These days they would have an actual competitive match and it would be much more entertaining, Mm. but the crowd was into it for what it was at the time. Yeah. And you look at who's in this match. You're not talking about, uh, refined experience in ring performers. Right. Uh, and so whether it's, you know, I don't know what anybody would have thought, well, it, it should have been better than one star based on what, right? Really based on what their previous great five-star matches at other big events. No, they never had one of those. This is a let me up match to entertain 
the male 18 to 34 and the male 18 to 49 demographic. Because most uh, heterosexual males in that demographic are not going to turn their head from seeing Tori Wilson, Sable, Miss Jackie, and Stacey Keebler in their, their chosen wrestling attire for that night. It's not. So it, it filled its role, but the role wasn't to give us the match of the night. The mole was to let the, 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 the role was to let us up, uh, chill and get a laugh or two and enjoy watching these very sexy athletic women do their business. Let's, uh, let's talk about a backstage skit that we get next. We see Eddie Guerrero, uh, walking with his title belt on his shoulder. He's shaking hands with folks like Paul London, Spike Dudley, Orlando Jordan, and Billy Gunn, who all just happened to be in the hallway. And he walks into the locker room where Chris Benoit is pacing, looking focused. And Eddie says, they're like brothers, no matter what happens tonight, he's proud of him. And Benoit says, he's not going to lose. And Eddie says, nobody expects him to. And Benoit said, I believe in me. And Eddie said, I believe Chris. So it's a big little moment here. And, uh, it's going to be a nice end to the night. Yeah. Very heartfelt promo. I thought real felt organic. And having shared conversations with both those guys, uh, I know those conversations took place, uh, uh, for real. And so that's kind of what I, I, I remember about that, that they, they, Eddie and Chris realized that, uh, this is a very special day for both of them being in championship matches in the garden at WrestleMania. Cause who the hell would have thought that was going to happen for two guys that were five, seven or five, eight. And, you know, I hate to, I'm not going to harp on that, but that was kind of the, 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 the consensus. Hey, they're great. They're great little hands, but they're not ever going to be at the top of the card. And that's, that should give every smaller wrestler that's wrestling today. Hope that if you get good enough at your skill set, get good enough at what you do, bell to bell. Anything's possible. And on this night, those two guys prove that. Let's talk about the next match. Guerrero Chavo Guerrero is going to win a 10 man cruiserweight open in 10 minutes and 28 seconds. I think this match, unfortunately is most remembered for the Ultimo dragons entrance. He slips. Everybody's waiting for their WrestleMania moment. And Ultimo dragons, unfortunately was slipping on the ramp. Did you see it live? And did you think it was a big deal? I mean, obviously it's embarrassing for him, but man, to this day, fans still point to that slip for Ultimo as if it doomed his WWE career. I don't know if it did that or not. That's yeah. a extreme. I agree. Frankly, human error, you know, it's there. Hey, you got guys doing their own stunts and doing their own setups and all those things, uh, for their moves and so forth. It's inevitable. That's going to happen. It probably happens more often than we even talk about, but because uh, you know, there was, there was great hope by the, some of the real hardcore fans for, because they'd followed Ultimo dragon and uh, Japan and Mexico and so forth, that he was going to be a, a big deal for us. Uh, another great example of putting a bunch of really good workers into a match that means nothing, no buildup, no personal hot issues going into it. Cold as ice. So I don't know that, uh, that the company did a great service to those dudes in that match because it felt like it was another way of getting more people on the cards. So they get a payday. 
It's a lot of guys too. Chavo wins, but you've got a Keo who we also know as Jimmy Wang Yang, Billy Kidman, Funaki, Jamie Noble, Nunzio, Shannon Moore, Tajiri, Ultimo Dragon. And I can't believe this Ray Mysterio. Don't get me wrong. A lot of talented performers don't mean to single in on Ray, but knowing that Ray's going to be in some world title matches in this era, this feels a little out of place for Ray. Was this the best use of Ray Mysterio on this card? At the time, I think it was Conrad. He didn't have a story going in. Right. Uh, there just wasn't, you know, cause you're thinking, I think about where it all went, what all would end up, where all we went right. with Ray at that time, those weren't on the, weren't top of the list of things to do. Right. We knew he was a star and he was extremely talented, just like he is today. He's a phenom, but you know, I don't know that there was anything any, any better for Ray. You know, you said, well, you could put him with a hot heel. Okay. To do that, you got to have a program. You got to have a buildup roll into WrestleMania with momentum. You just can't write, throw him in a kettle of fish there and expect him to be the prominent taste of your stew. But he was, uh, he hadn't got to the, he had not gained the confidence of Vince at that point to the level that he would eventually when he became the, uh, the champion. So, uh, in the, in the, in a true sense to answer your question, it probably wasn't the best thing, but it was the best thing that we had available considering that we didn't have a, a program and something to build momentum going into this match featuring Ray or with Ray, with a, with a hot wrestling son of a gun, uh, uh, heel that he could have a match and do all of his spots and, and he could, uh, his st- the styles would be compatible. So it was just a different place and time in that regard, but everybody that you know, uh, followed Ray and, and all of us. And, you know, when I hired Ray, uh, Ray had a contract, he had time left on his contract. He came to see me in the, uh, uh, in LA at Staples center and was ready to go to work. And, uh, his contract was up with WCW, but they still owed him a lot of money. It's like until maybe he come to see me at SummerSlam. And then on, uh, I think he was getting big money till January, if I'm not mistaken. And I said, here's the deal, man. I can't match that pay anyway. Just to be honest with you, you can make more than that. And he did Lord, he did, but there gotta be some motivation. You gotta hit you know, the more you produce, the more money you make types of wrestling scenario or salesman, whatever it may be. And I said, here's my advice. Here's what I'd like to do. I want to hire you and I will hire you. You're, you're great talent. And you can become even more famous than you are by being on this television. But the smart money right now for you is to stay home, train, get over your litany of He's been wrestling since he was like 14, Conrad. God damn, you know, why don't you just enjoy the money you're making, that mailbox money, get your body just exactly where you want it. And then we'll, I'll, we'll bring you in, uh, in, in, in January or somewhere in there, thereabouts. So that's kind of where we are with Ray. I, we, we, I knew, and the, the guys around me knew that were, you know, talking about that work with Ray, you know, the Jericho's of the world and guys like that, that had great respect for him. Uh, couldn't say enough nice things about Ray, but I, that was my call. And, uh, I remember talking to Vance. He said, well, how'd you, how'd your meeting with the Mysterio go? And I said, well, great. He's coming in in January. I think it was. January. I said, yeah, Vince, he's getting big money more than we're going to guarantee. And let's let the guy get healthy. Like I said, we don't take for, we don't take 
into consideration, Conrad, the common sense of the fact that this young man has been doing this now since he was a teenager all the time, bumps, lots of bumps, lots of injuries, heal, get better and, and, and save your damn money. So, uh, and Vince understood that logic, you know, he got, he's got a chance to take inventory of his home, his home life, his family, be with his kids, you know, Dominic and the, and the little girl were young as hell. So now you get an opportunity to stay home, help raise your kids in a more hands-on way and be getting paid a great mailbox money until you're ready to come here. So it seemed like it worked out to me. And I think I was just trying to think of his family and to show him that we're about, I'm about more than just you coming in and, and, and dishing out a plethora of six one nines. We know you can do that and we know you're going to get over, but, uh, why not? Let's just take this approach and see if it works for us. And, uh, I don't think that was the answer Ray was expecting. Cause I think he would say, well, we'll start you tomorrow. Right. We'll be there at raw or something, but it wasn't, that was supposed to be the case. So that's, I think that's where we were with that deal. Could we have done something better with Ray? Of course, but it just wasn't time on this show. The match gets two and a half stars. And then we're to a real stinker Goldberg and Lesnar. You know, when Brock first came into the company, a lot of fans were prepared or comparing him rather to Goldberg. Yeah. They would even chant Goldberg's name during some of his early matches. Yeah. So it feels like a dream match that's finally going to happen, but it winds up being more of a nightmare on the February 23rd, uh, episode of raw Vince McMahon would name interpromotional singles matches pitting Lesnar and Goldberg against each other and announcing Austin as the special guest referee. And we're off to the races. We've already talked about how, you know, uh, Brock puts in his notice a few weeks ahead of this. Talk to us about what it was like that day at the day of WrestleMania. Everybody's got a call time. Do you remember there being some tension in the air, knowing that this is it for both performers? Yeah, of course they're leaving after today. They're gone. And we had put, we'd sunk a lot of money in both guys, not only in contractual, uh, money guaranteed money, but time and more money on promoting them, establishing their brands respectively. So yeah, there was a lot of tension in that regard because nobody really knew the unknown of how is this match going to progress? Is it going to be good? Are they going to, you know, are these guys going to be the athletes that they are? And even though they don't like the plays that are being run, they're still going to take the field and play their ass off. And so nobody knew how that was going to work out. And, but, uh, the, upon the entrances, I knew that we all had an uphill struggle. Be honest with you, Conrad, it's just cause the crowd didn't like either one of them and that's the shits. I mean, that's bad, man. They, they like one of them a lot, a lot and didn't like the other guy that you can kind of deal with that a little bit, but when they don't like either guy and they, the fans thought they were being, uh, deserted, they're turned, the talents are turning their back on them and they reacted accordingly. So it's very uncomfortable. Uh, and again, highlighted by the response that those gentlemen got when they came to the ring in the garden, but it was a tense day. And, uh, I think most people just kind of stayed away from both guys, you know, they're just, what, what are you going to do? Well, brother, you'll be all right. You know, no, there's nothing to say here. Leave them alone. Let them do their thing and hope that Austin can save the damn day. 
Well, it happened. Star and a quarter. The fans are chanting right away. I think the fans probably ruined the match. Uh, I, I know they're having fun, but once Austin sold a little bit of it, I mean, you could see he was grinning a little bit. The crowd really doubled down. And Meltzer would say a lot of the wrestlers backstage were more than amused watching two guys leaving, get booed out of the place. Um, Goldberg makes a comeback spears Lesnar. He kicks out Goldberg's mad at Austin for a slow count. Lesnar hits the F five, but Goldberg kicks out. Now Lesnar's mad at Austin. Lesnar <laughs> goes and uh, spears the post leading the Goldberg, hitting him with a spear and a jackhammer. And that gets the pin. After the match, we see Lesnar flip off the crowd, which Meltzer didn't think was planned. And in the ring, it's clear Lesnar wasn't happy about the crowd and he showed it. Goldberg, who's more than used to this, was laughing about it. Lesnar flipped off Austin, clearly as planned, and Austin gave him a stunner. They're all throwing the beers to Austin. He's dropping a few. Goldberg came back. They toast each other, but Austin winds up giving Goldberg a goodbye stunner, star and a quarter. If Austin's in the ring drinking beer and stunning people, everybody goes home happy, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's... That's, uh, that was the only salvation left. The match sucked. Uh, you know, it just, the crowd was never going to buy into it. You know, that's where the, the, uh, internet can, can be a blessing or a curse. In this case, the audience was preconceived, preconditioned that, uh, that you're not going to like this, or these guys are leaving us. They're two of the biggest stars in the entire game, and you're not going to see them anymore because they've chosen to leave you. And the fans took it personally. So they started out behind the eight ball and they, and then they were able to get around it. And like I said, you only can imagine what that whole debacle would have been like if Austin had not been in, in the equation, because that at least gave the fans something that they could embrace and they liked and, and the more beer and the more stunners they delivered the better it was. It was like the old days and he's magic and they enjoyed sharing some of that magic, especially, uh, based on what they had just seen, because that was not magic. Well, next up, we, uh, we take another stab at creating a little magic this time with Rikishi and Scotty Two hottie winning a four way to keep the SmackDown tag straps. They beat the Bashams, Haas and Benjamin and APA. But they only get six minutes, same rules as the raw match. Whoever wins first wins. Um, Rikishi uses the Samoan drop on Bradshaw and does a sitting splash on Danny for the pin star and a quarter. Again, this feels like, uh, Hey man, we got to get these guys a payoff. So let's put, instead of two teams out there, let's put four, but you only got six minutes. So hurry that shit up. Yeah. It was again. Why do we have that match? Right. Too much on the card, Conrad. We're seeing illustration after illustration of good, hardworking talents, mm-hmm. no doubt. Who, if if all bets aside, certainly deserve to be and to have earned a spot through their work with, during the previous year to be on WrestleMania. But uh, you got to wonder. I don't know who we. Who did we get over in that match? Who do you think got over in that match? I'll tell you who got over. I'll answer my own question. Uh, Rikishi dancing. Yes. That's, that's your, that's your saving grace. And that's hey, look, there's nothing wrong with that. No, those guys are, uh, you know, entertaining as hell. Uh, Scotty too hottie and, 
and the Rikishi were a great unit. And they're better with with uh, Brian Christopher in in the in the mix, and he was there. That was a good little trio, really good. So I don't I'm not sure uh, why uh, how this all came about, but I don't know why that match was there because they're really good talents. I mean Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin I thought were a hell of a team. Never given the credit that they deserve. The Bashons were at OVW Products. Uh, good, talented guys deserve the opportunity. Can you imagine after being in the Danny Davis arena with two or 300 people? Well, now you're, you're looking around and there's 20,000 and change in, in, in this venue called Madison square garden for a team like the Bashams. That's a bucket list. Right. So I'm glad that they all got to experience that, but I just think the card was a little bit overbooked. And then by, when that happens, you get short change and when you got these marginal matches and they're later in the card, they're the ones they are going to get their time cut. They're not going to cut the time for the main events. So the guys know going in, Hey, we probably won't have the time that we're told we're going to have. And that's kind of where we are. So, uh, it was just a placeholder, unfortunately. And I, I hate to use that term. That's what it was. Next up, we get a video for edge coming back. He's been out for a year with that spinal fusion. Then we see Jesse Ventura talk to Donald Trump. And then we get the well, women's. I bet that was stimulating. <laughs> Victoria is going to retain the women's title over Molly Holly in four minutes and 53 seconds. Meltzer would say it was, uh, rushed. Uh, Victoria makes a comeback, puts Molly in a chair, uh, bound her chest and forearms to the chair. So she couldn't move and got her head shaved. Uh, I hope her hair grows back faster than angles, except for angle. I think it's the first time they've lived up to the hair step in a long time. So Victoria gets the win and we shave old Molly's head. This is a uh, quite the visual here, man. What do you remember about this? Well, it deserved more time. It deserved more preparation. It deserved a better presentation, but, uh, both those ladies are stalwarts on our roster. You know, I often talked to you, Victoria was a really a, a workhorse for us and, and worked very diligently to get better at wrestling. Cause that wasn't what she, she came in to be one of Godfather's hoes. Yeah. So it, what the plan was for her to have a long pro wrestling career, but she did. And she has, and Molly is just a treasure. I met Molly in Florida. Dean Malenko introduced her to me and she was a, she, she was, Dean was her conduit to get her a meeting. And, uh, I was immediately impressed with her character, her attitude. She had a great smile and Conrad, she could work. She was really good working. And then we had this match earlier where we talked about uh, the team, you know, of, you know, uh, Jackie and Stacy and, and, uh, Sable and, and, uh, and Tori. Well, we needed Molly Hollies to work with those, those kind of guys, help them learn. And so she was, uh, she was willing to do it. I think somebody was trying to come up with an idea, a different kind of match. I think the whole angle was rushed. It could have been a much bigger deal. But even though she knew she was buried deep in the card and they did only had a few minutes to tell her story, she did it like a company person would do. She ran the plays mm -hmm. and, uh, earned a lot of respect for the company as a result, Molly Holly could have been there as long as she chose to be there. That's how well respected she was never an issue, never a problem. Always, always professional and she could wrestle. And that had to somewhere along the way, we kind of lost our way or, or at least endeavoring to, 
uh, with these women that could really wrestle jazz, Jackie Moore, mm -hmm. you know, some, some ivory, there are a lot of them, but they had to be in place to help the Trish Stratuses of the world up their game. Right. And Tories and, and, uh, Stacy Keebler's you can't get enough of a uh, uh, video wise, but you don't want to go out there and embarrass themselves and even worse, get hurt. So, uh, Molly is a, she's really a keeper. Is Molly Holly in the hall of fame? Yes. That's awesome. I thought she was. She's a, this is a sweetheart. So you can't get a, in your locker room. You can't get any more reliable people than, than Molly Holly with, with character and class. I think she's probably be one of the best teachers that you could ever find. She has patience and understanding and, and it's not all about her. It's, her, it's about her helping you get better. And she did a great job for us for that. I'll always be indebted to her for all her contributions to that, uh, that side of the roster. She's been good for the wrestling business and she was good for the wrestling business for a long time. And the other women, especially that she helped uh, bring along is uh, almost too numerous to mention. Hey, in my real life, man, I'm helping people save money. I'd be glad to help you too. If you're looking to buy a house, if you're looking to get out of that apartment, if you're looking to sell your house, if you're looking to fix your credit, uh, so you can buy a house. If you're looking to get some pro tips on how to save money to buy a house or how much you need to buy a house, or maybe you're just trying to save some money on your current bills. Maybe get rid of some credit card debt, maybe consolidate a car payment. Maybe you just need some cash to do some remodels around the house. Whatever it is, we can help you at savewithconrad.com. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. But man, if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. As you can get a quick quote, even talk to a live person right now at savewithconrad.com or give us a call toll free, 888-425-0105. By all means, give us a buzz, ask for me. We're right here on the parkway in Huntsville, Alabama, but licensed pretty much all over the country and able to help you remotely. Uh, seriously, think of me next time you need something in that area. You got a friend in the business. You can also just drop me an email, conrad at savewithconrad.com. If I can be helpful, I'd love to do that. I'd love to let my family help your family. And don't just take my word for it. Go check us out. We got an A plus with the BBB. And you can read all of our five star reviews. There's more than a thousand of them at conradreviews.com. Uh, but savewithconrad.com, that's your hookup, man. Uh, let's keep it going here. Let's talk about the next match here. We've got, uh, a lot of backstory to this one, but I think everybody remembers this angle pretty well. It's Kurt angle and Eddie Guerrero. They get going in late January. Uh, and then it progresses. This is all for the SmackDown title, but boy, they really start cooking with gas when they're cutting promos saying, I think angle even said Guerrero's a former drug addict and shouldn't represent SmackDown as the WWE champion. And that one day people will be thanking me for being a champion. People can be proud of. So they're getting a lot of heat here. Uh, was it good heat? No, I don't think it was nope. necessary. I mean, these guys can just, so either. they can just wrestle. I understand the heel saying all these outrageous things. Wrestling villains have been doing it for years and years and years. Uh, but man, I. There's a better way. There's more creative ways to foreshadow, uh, Eddie's dubious character that, that, uh, Kurt was alluding to than the way we did it. Uh, it was a turnoff because what it does is somebody didn't know that story, Conrad, then they're going to, now their mind is taken away from what you're, they're seeing it. Well, what did he do? What kind of drugs? 
when this happened, what's going on. So, uh, I, I think we could have done a better job of, uh, selecting our verbiage, uh, for that match, because what they were trying to do was to make it personal and you can make it personal. Hey, Kirk could have said, Hey, uh, can you realize how much of an embarrassment Eddie Guerrero has been for his family? Do you know that his daughters are ashamed of him because of his conduct and his, and some of his bad habits? Okay. Let them fill in the blank. Well, you know, you go into too much detail. It's negative shit, man. So, and I'm not, I'm not blaming Kurt. Kurt was given a directive of, of where to go and an outline of his promo on that topic. How do you get there? Is it going to be up to him and the writer, but bottom line is it just wasn't the right path. Understood the logic, understood the destination, understood the routing wrong road in my opinion. And then the bell rang and they made magic. Meltzer gave Bingo. him four stars. They got 20 minutes, uh, 21 minutes and 32 seconds after the crowd crapping on the Goldberg match. And then essentially being bored for a few Meltzer would say they were way quiet, even for Eddie's entrance. And the match started with a lot of very good wrestling on the map. He would say it reminded me a lot of a world title match in early seventies, Florida wrestling. Guerrero went for a plancha to the floor, but angle moved and Guerrero caught his ribs on the barricade. They're going to pull out all the stops here. They're going to trade suplexes and you know, lots of classic wrestling moves, mm-hmm. but the story becomes he's slapping on the ankle lock from every which way. And Guerrero is selling his ankle. Like it's gone out on him. And he starts unlacing his boot. Like he's trying to take it off angle. Yeah. Sees this jumps on it and puts the hold on again. But this time the boot comes off. And as he's charging back at Guerrero's, uh, he's holding Guerrero's boot. He winds up getting cradled. They're all over the ropes, but it doesn't matter. The ref counts three, really a pretty creative spot that, you know, oh, my ankle hurts. I'm going to continue to loosen up yeah. my boot here and, and territory. Oh, territory. heel finish. I love it. I had never seen the finish before yeah. it, it worked for me in my household in a big way. You were there calling it live. Is this one of the better matches you ever called for either guy? I think so. Yeah. Especially looking at the, where we were and, and on what day and all that good stuff. Absolutely. Uh, there are two guys that I knew could deliver because you fed them in that real athletic competitive nature. Uh, they're going to give you more than they need to, but this is an awesome match. I thought, and, uh, just indicated how good both guys are, you know, uh, Kurt, just unbelievable. I think next to Jack Briscoe, Kurt angle probably assimilated from amateurs to pro better than anybody I've ever been around, including Brock Lesnar, including Dr. Death. That's how far ahead he was, you know, uh, of the, of the, of the competition. So, uh, yeah, I love that match and the crowd loved it. And the other thing, Conrad, you hit the, you hit the nail on the head and maybe inadvertently, I don't know, but the angle started in months. Several weeks, there was a several week buildup going into WrestleMania between these two guys. So there was a clear cut, clearly explained, understandable reason or, uh, you know, uh, for them to fight at WrestleMania. And then you add the title to it. It made the title more prestigious because between Kurt and Eddie, they made this thing personal. And that was the, some of the great stuff that, that boot unlacing the boot. 
was part of that lie, cheat, and steal stuff. You know, Eddie created his own diversion uh, by un, by un, you know unlacing his boot, and it threw Kurt off, as we saw, as the story goes, and and uh, and then Kurt uh, would do the honors, and Eddie would grab his Pat Patterson and say, "A quick one, great match." The morning after, Kurt would uh, report that he had some uh, numbness in his fingers once again. He's going to schedule an MRI to see exactly what the damage is, but these guys were pulling out all the stops here. And it's one of the more important matches in Eddie Guerrero's career. And I guess we're going to, I want to give a little peek behind the curtain. Eddie actually gave you the boots he wore that night, right? Yeah. You know, they're, they're stored away in a secret place <laughs> and they're, and I'm fighting off. People want to buy them. I know like you, yeah, like me, because dude, what an iconic <laughs> pair of boots, what a major moment in his career. And obviously one of the all-time greats, what was your relationship like with Eddie here? It was good. And, uh, uh, at times uh, combustible, you know, I was given the story about, you know, when we put him on a, some pay-per-view and he went on first and he came to see me and what are you guys trying to do to me? Easy hot shot. What's wrong? I don't want to go on first. I said, you understand the reason you're going on first, Eddie, you really understand it. I think I'm getting screwed. What if you went on third, that make you happier. Then you'd be, it would be a resurrounded by other stuff. You're coming out to a fresh audience that hasn't seen anything yet. That's dying to see wrestling to see their first match. And the fact that you have the ability to walk back through that curtain, back through the grill position when that match is over with your goddamn chest out saying, follow that boys, follow that. This is where we want to stay tonight. Intensity wise and entertaining wise, the whole nine yards. And he got it. And guess what he did? He went out and killed it. Of course he did. So, uh, Eddie was best. I loved my meetings with Eddie when he, I caught him reading his Bible. Cause I knew he had some peace. He was thinking in a peaceful way and. But boy, he, you know, uh, like the guys would say, I think Dean Malenko told me the story, you know, when I first hired those four guys, he said, now working with Eddie could be a little different. I said, how so? Well, if he's drinking hard liquor, he becomes Andre. If he's drinking beer. He's jovial, laughable Eddie. You want him to drink beer. <laughs> so, uh, but Eddie had fighting those damn demons. And, uh, but that was I would say that was one of his happiest days of his professional career. Other than when he beat Lesnar in the cow palace, there was joy in Mudville because Eddie Guerrero climbed to the top of the mountain that nobody thought he would ever do in WWE. And that had nothing to do with his wrestling ability. It had everything to do with his size and the perception thereof. So, uh, but we got along fine. We had some confrontations but we always left with a hug. Good. He knew I loved him. He knew I respected him. And, uh, he just, he was dealing with more Conrad than just, uh, his own, you know, the finish. He was, he had a lot of issues, a lot of things ongoing that he was trying to get under control. And I understood that. And I tried to support him every way I could. So we had a good relationship and I'm glad I can look back on that and say, you know, I love working with Eddie because he was so intense, man. And, you know, I just, I wish you could have packaged that and sold it to all the rest of the roster. He was a, he was just a machine. 
Let's, uh, let's talk about the next match. This is heavy on story. It's Kane and undertaker. It's a rematch from WrestleMania 14. Their feud really gets ignited at the match at survivor series, 2003. That's when undertaker wrestled Vince McMahon in a buried alive match. Kane interferes, buries the undertaker, killing him. Uh, the next week we would see Kane give a eulogy for his brother claiming that the undertaker is no longer his brother. And he died a long time ago. Um, of course the undertaker's old music distracts him at the Royal rumble. And it feels like we're building towards the return of no longer the American badass, but the original dead man character. And that's what we get here in a big way. Um, at this point, it's also been established that there is a WrestleMania streak going on. He's 11 and 0 coming into this. Uh, they have the match. Of course, Paul bear returns at an old style undertaker ring entrance. Um, they've got local indie guys playing druids with the lit torches, uh, dipped in kerosene, pretty, pretty cool visual here. Even if you're not necessarily a big fan, um, there is a couple of misfires, I guess <laughs> several people are, uh, nervous and they're using fire extinguishers to put them out. You're playing with fire boys and girls, literally. Kane grabs the undertaker's choke for a choke slam. Taker grabs back. Ultimately taker wins the battle, hits the choke slam, uses the tombstone pile driver, gets the pin. Not much to it. Seven forty-five, but it's more about the story of old school undertaker is back and Paul bear was here. And I have a feeling that you, uh, played a hand in Paul bear coming back. Yeah. You know, uh, gosh, everybody liked bill Moody, Percy Pringle. Paul bear and in any incarnation, he was a hoot, smart guy, really a student of the game, loved wrestling as much as anybody ever been around. Uh, but he, he was becoming morbidly obese. That's how the medical, uh, same description I got first time I saw that was with Yoko from a doctor that we're trying to get him licensed and pass his physicals. He's morbidly obese was the reason that uh, they wouldn't license Yoko at that point in time. Uh, and so I told Paul Barris, I said, the only way that we're going to get you back here is you got to get healthier and you got to drop some weight. And I also knew that being a good old Southern boy, like you are and me, it was going to be hard to change his, uh, dieting lifestyle his this nutrition, you know, uh, you know, we're not going to have no goddamn grilled chicken. I don't want grilled chicken breasts on my plate type deal. I want fried chicken. Right. And so we, we, uh, we financed and paid for more specifically, uh, the surgery to help him, you know, I don't know if it's that lap band thing or something along those lines. I should remember, but I'm not a doctor. never played one on TV. I think, uh, we knew that it was a heart attack waiting to happen if we didn't do something. Right. And we knew that we wanted to bring the undertaker back in the original incarnation and to do that without Paul bearer. Uh, was going to be really challenging. It wasn't a package. We want to put that package back together. So in order to do so, we had to take some medical steps to make sure that, uh, that Paul bear was as healthy as he could be. He never got svelte, right? but he, but he got healthier and he lost significant weight and it added some years to his life. Thank God. And, and got him back in the line and back and making money. So I thought that was a good thing for us to do. That was Look, I, I oversaw it and, and came up with a plan, but you know, in all honesty, you know, Vince had to prove it. It was a lot of money. Was, you know, well, he made a lot of money. Well, you know, somebody was going to say that, well, he's got money. He's got money. 
Okay, asshole. Yeah, he's got money. He didn't have to do it. He went above and beyond to take care of this guy who had come in and been very loyal and let's not bullshit each other. Paul bear was an instrumental part of that undertaker persona. Oh, big time. So we had to try to figure out how can we replicate that? And that's what we decided to do. And it was a novel approach to get somebody back at work. It was unique. I don't know if it's ever been done before, but, uh, I tried the same thing. I mentioned Yoko. He wouldn't go for it. We offered the same thing to him, you know, well, in a different time, he just old school. No, I can, I get, I can get this under control and that didn't happen. So that's, that's why how that came about. And I'm proud that we did that because it extended a guy's life and his love for the business and kept him feeding his family. And I thought that was a win for everybody involved. Let's, uh, let's talk about the main event here. And I want to ask, why do you think this was a three-way? We're talking about triple H, Shawn Michaels and Chris Benoit. I got the feeling that maybe for whatever reason, Vince wasn't sold on the fact that it just being Benoit versus triple H was box office. He wanted more star power in there with Shawn Michaels. Would I be wrong? No, no, you're right. And we wanted to pass the torch in the most grandiose way that we could. And, uh, to sell pay-per-views, you get that one angle. You needed something special, something hot. They're closing the show at WrestleMania for God's sakes. So, uh, adding Sean to that mix gave it in a lot more star power. And, uh, everybody knew Sean w- wanted to be the champion again. And he, we all had a great story going in there with Sean and his former best buddy, uh, triple H. So all those things that all tied together. But I think Vince believed that just the fact that Benoit hadn't got completely over, we had confidence. He's going to do, do, do really good. He's going to become an underdog champion, undersized champion who had no idea how big or small he was, but we had to get there. And so what you had, you had two guys giving Benoit the rub, two guys, of uh, that were obviously considered as major stars globally in the pro wrestling business. So I think that was a real, I think you're right on the money there is that it just strengthened the card. It made the card more attractive. It became a bigger attraction with those three stars in it. And the beneficiary was going to be Benoit. Well, here we are. It's quite a match. Uh, it's uh, 24 minutes and 47 seconds. Meltzer says all the special stuff like blood and tables were protected for the guys on last. What was impressive is that they worked a fast pace, even from the start. Even though they were going long, the crowd was super into Benoit and booed both the other two. It was your hardcore fans that came from all over the world that live and breathe it. So they're going to be more into Benoit than casual fans that you would draw in every city. And that's why they got a huge reaction, but that may not have been as indicative, uh, when he was at the Guerrero level, this is all from the observer. Michaels did a moonsault off the top rope to both on the floor. Benoit was a machine. Benoit had triple H in the crossface, but Michael saved lots of false finishes here. As we mentioned, there's tables, there's blood, a lot of blood. In fact, um, and the pedigree is what everybody's waiting for. And Benoit counters it into a crossface, and triple H is in the move forever with, uh, Benoit screaming tap, the fans are screaming tap. And finally he taps four and three quarter stars. This is probably. I shouldn't say probably this is the biggest moment in Chris Benoit's career 
and the confetti coming from the ceiling reminded us of that. Eddie Guerrero hits the ring with Benoit. They both break down in tears and Meltzer would write, uh, the former maligned vanilla midgets that the stars of WCW spent years saying could never headline because people don't notice them in the airport were suddenly the two major champions in United States pro wrestling on one of the biggest shows in history between the wrestling, the atmosphere and the announcing. This was a fantastic ending to a show. Oh, cool. The announcing got a mention. <laughs> wow. Well, it's, it's nice to hear that every now and then. Uh, I told somebody that one time I said, you know, we're doing the best we can, but maybe it's better just to put your goddamn match on moot. Uh, no, no, but yeah, it's nice. To, it's nice to be recognized for some human being. Everybody's, you know, you want to be recognized in that regard. So, uh, you know, everybody made a big deal. I, I congratulate Excalibur for winning this wrestling observer announcer of the year, very well deserved. And he's a great guy to work with smartest guy in the room, but, uh, I'm going to kid him about the fact that, you know, when he went 13 more, you'll be tied with me. <laughs> My goodness. Well, you know, it's just, we're having fun here and that's all it is. But, uh, Excalibur has done a great job and, and does a real, does real well for us. And, and I'm glad I've been able to help him give him a little bit of room to build his body of work. And he's very talented and very smart, but it's good to hear the announcer, the announcing even mentioned in a positive light, as opposed to. Did you hear Jr. say WWE on AEW? I bet he gets fired. He's old. You know they shoot horses, don't they? My God! Feel like sometimes I feel like old Yeller <laughs> in the smokehouse. <laughs> Let's put him out of his misery. I ain't ready. To, I mean, I, got, I ain't miserable. I'm good. Right. <laughs> but Eddie, that was. Here's the thing. A little nuance. Go back and watch the. You you, you would be well served. Any fan that hasn't seen this match from the start to finish, uh, to go back and check it out. You'll love it. If you're still a fan of old school, fundamentally sound, adding a pinch of, uh, uh, aerial, uh, chances and things of that nature into your, into your match, uh, then you should go back and see it, but also see that I think there was a nice little pregnant pause after Benoit won the title. And the confetti rained down. You saw the emotion in the crowd, real, true emotion. One of those opportunities where no matter how good our uh, announcer is, there's really not words to describe what you're feeling and seeing. So you let that soak in. You let that, let everybody feel what they're going to feel regarding that. <clears throat> and then there was that then's where Chris and Eddie came, they got together in the ring and did their hug. Took it to another place emotionally. So, uh, I, I just thought those guys, all of them, it showed also triple H and Sean being very unselfish, which some people may roll their eyes. Well, these two guys are never unselfish. Oh yeah, they were. They're unselfish on that night because they gave a double rub to Benoit. And, uh, so I, I liked the, I liked the whole thing. I liked the fact that Eddie gave Chris, Chris a moment and the spotlight in post-match before he entered the equation. And, uh, that was one of the most emotional things I've ever seen in pro wrestling. It was so real Conrad and they were crying real tears. Yeah. You know, you do this and then you do that. Then I'll do this. I'll slap my leg then I'll slap my face and I'll slap everything. And then let's cry. Can you cry on a key? Oh yeah. I'll cry. None of that shit went on. No, they not even the leg slapping. 
pretty famous moment here. Let's, uh, let's talk about the mood backstage. We've often heard that when guys come back through the curtain in the gorilla position after a big match like this, it's a, a sellout at the curtain and all the boys are giving them a standing ovation. Vince gives them hugs. I assume that's the case here, right? I'm assuming so. I was still out yonder yeah. the announced position when they all came through the curtain, but I know it was celebratory as hell when, when Lawler and I finally got to the back, uh, a lot of, there are a lot of tears, not just from Eddie and Chris. I mean, a lot of tears from a lot of other guys. They were legitimately emotional and were so, I think maybe thankful that they saw two of their peers have the, the career nights in the world's most famous arena at the world's most famous wrestling event. And they were just glad that they were there to witness it. That's the brotherhood. You sometimes that you is overlooked in our business. Uh, unfortunately, and it shouldn't be, but yeah, everybody was happy. It was a very jovial time. I know I can recall that the, uh, post WrestleMania party, which started out as a very closed affair, which has grown to be, if you're somebody's cousin or mailman, you, you seem to get in, uh, it was very festive. Everybody was happy. Conrad, look at what we just accomplished. Look at what we had done. Sold out WrestleMania big time, great matches. And we closed and the matches that needed to deliver did deliver. So, uh, even though the card was probably, and, and not unlike a lot of cards kind of overbooked too many bodies on it. Uh, so, but I, I love that. Uh, the party was festive. The food was great. And I'll call bring everything back to what you and I love food <laughs> and an open bar and all that good stuff. So it's pretty cool. So I'm, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm privileged to be a part of that day. It really means something to me to this very day, all these years later. WrestleMania 20 got, uh, 83% thumbs up in the observer, 10% thumbs down, 6.7% thumbs in the middle. Uh, lots of different votes for best match poll. Jericho and Christian got 19, uh, the evolution rock and sock got 26. Eddie and Kurt got 81, but overwhelmingly our triple threat main event got 867 votes. Everyone agreed. That was the best match on the show overall thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. Oh, I thumbs up definitively the moments that I can remember with clarity and can see colors and all those things. Uh, it has to rank as one of the best WrestleManias emotionally for me as a broadcaster. And to see the journeys of two guys that were always perceived to be too small or too something, they don't have the charisma or whatever it may be, whatever the, the excuse may be that somebody's creating. Uh, I love that. I love the underdog to win. And, and I always perceive that Eddie and Chris were underdogs and they prevailed their dreams and the journeys they were on their dreams came true and to be there, to be able to call it and document it was uh, really an honor for me. When do you think Vince came around on the idea of these two guys being the, the leaders of his company for years and years, we did hear that old narrative that, you know, if you don't stand out in an airport and Vince was a size yep. guy and the promotion was the land of the giants, it feels like when WCW goes down, Vince is looking for, Hey, what's our next thing going to be WrestleMania 18 had Jericho and, and Hunter on top, but really it was all about, 
uh, rock and Hogan. And then at 19, he's going to put himself in there with Hulk Hogan again, doubling down on nostalgia on the undercard. But the main event is two legitimate, incredible performers with angle and Lesnar. And now here we're trying something different, sort of the workhorses, the smart fans favorites. Was this something Vince had to come around to? Was he really sold on it or was he just looking for the next big thing? I think the, the guys uh, on the roster and, and a lot of us that were close to the scenario kept encouraging Vince that we we're traveling in the right direction, that these two guys would be great representatives and they're going to ensure that every time they're in the ring, they're going to have a great match. They're going to be solid at worst. So I just think it took a little bit of a uh, gentle persuasion. My song one time, gentle persuasion, sweet persuasion. I don't know. Uh, it's irrelevant. I just think it took him a little bit of time. He's just breaking old, uh, habits, so right. to speak, breaking the mold, if you will. But, uh, it wasn't automatic, but he saw that those two, those two guys peers uh, were very supportive of them. <coughs> Pardon me. And, uh, and I think Hunter and Sean looking at potential opponents going forward. I mean, how good does it get? You got Eddie and, and Benoit that's on the, that you could be booked with. So I think that was, uh, another reason everybody wanted to work with Benoit and get Eddie. Why wouldn't you? They're maestros. So I think it took him a little while, Conrad, but it, it soon becomes so evident and they had such overwhelming support from the locker room that, uh, it could not be ignored. Let's talk about what else can't be ignored next week. We're going to be back here with ask Jr. anything, but Jim, if I'm going to ask you anything, I need to ask, where can I get some great sauce? Let me give that some thought, Conrad. How about jrsbbq.com? <laughs> I've heard of that. That might be that might be an idea. I've heard of that. Uh, and it's getting to be warmer weather in most parts of the world that we sell to in the United States. And uh, it's grilling season, baby. So uh, it's healthier eating. I, I, I believe that. And, and, you know, you're not greasing things up and deep frying and all that stuff that you and I grew up on. So I love the grilling. Uh, and we've got things, you know, somebody sent me a, a real cool a tweet the other day at JRSBBQ showing them grilling trout, uh, excuse me, showing them grilling salmon. And for a long time, when I grill salmon on the, uh, on my grill, obviously that's oxymoronic, I think. Uh, but when I grill salmon at the end of the process, after I've turned it one time and I got like three minutes to go or something like that on, on the last side, I will drizzle the, uh, main event mustard on it. It's amazing. So simple. And before that, the only other thing I do would use, uh, our all purpose seasoning and you're done. You season it just fine. That's all you got to do. You gotta go to the, the, the uh, spice rack or whatever. JR's all purpose seasoning. And if you choose to go down this little, uh, tasty road, it's the, it's a jalapeno honey mustard. So, uh, but it's business has been really good. We've very appreciative of the support we get and we've all got specials ongoing. I had a guy send me uh, the other day, sent me a text or a tweet rather, excuse me, saying that I got in on this deal too late. I missed the deadline by a week or whatever it was. So I just got my shipment in and, but I wish I'd ordered it earlier. So I got a free autograph picture. So I said, we'll send you a free autograph picture. So I talked to Stephen link. Who's a operations manager at my site. 
and uh, we connected back with the guy, and we sent him an autographed picture. It's not that hard. Customer service. So it uh, works out pretty well. Uh, so I, I'm, uh, I appreciate the business, quite frankly, and you know, just trying to grow and see how far we can take this thing and, and make it cool. So check it out, folks. And the original barbecue sauce, mom's recipe, the hot barbecue sauce, the mustard we just spoke of, uh, the chipotle ketchup, which makes a great steak sauce, by the way. It's wonderful in meatloaves. Uh, you know, I go to the store sometime, Conrad, and back, I would, I've made homemade meatloaf from scratch, but it's too much work. I was going to say it's too much work. I'm just being honest. So you go to the store and you buy those in those little, uh, uh, pans where the meatloaf's already made. So what I do is I give it a nice little healthy dose of, of seasoning. And then I squirt. How I spurt the uh, chipotle ketchup on it, and then I bake it for like an hour, whatever it says with the directions. Man, I feel like I'm having mom's meatloaf. It's good stuff. So uh, a lot of fun things to do there, and we appreciate everybody sending your pictures of what you cook and when you cook and how you're if you're enjoying it, and if you got any issues. You know, I, I uh, I'm not looking for you know crybaby stuff, but if, if we've done something wrong or something's just not right, we want to fix it immediately. So uh, I think our customer service has helped us a great deal too, and we appreciate everybody's uh, loyalty on that deal. And as we mentioned, like last week, the uh, under the black hats now in paperback, it's a pretty slick presentation, and we're going to have a bunch of those to sign at our website. We already have the Slobberknocker and uh, under the black hat there. So uh, all all good, man. Life is good in that regard, and I'm, I'm I'm very blessed that fans are supporting it. Well, if you've got a question for Jim, <laughs> ask it right now at JR Grilling. That's our topic next week. Ask JR anything. Of course, we don't have to ask where to get our great sauce. We know that's jrsbbq.com. I'm rocking that all-purpose seasoning on a nearly daily basis. you got to try it. You're going to love it. And until next time, we'll be back right here on Grilling JR with the voice of wrestling. Mr. Jim Ross. As usual, Conrad, thank you very much for being the podcaster that you are. You're my booker. And I think you're the booker of the year, by the way, <laughs> in podcast land. <laughs> but always remember, Conrad, heavy on the mister. I'm old and I'm sensitive. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson here to tell you a little more about what adfreeshows.com is all about. Get early ad-free access to more than a dozen of your favorite wrestling podcasts every single week, starting at just nine bucks. That's less than 20 cents an episode each month. And yes, you can listen to them all directly through Apple podcasts or your regular podcast apps. How easy is that? Ad free shows also has thousands of hours worth of bonus content and docu-series like title chase, Eric fires back conversations with Conrad and the insiders. Plus new series like the book with David Crockett, Monday mailbags with Mike Kyoto and Nick Patrick and a whole lot more. And you want to talk about early. You can't get any earlier than listening to the shows live. You can be a part of the live studio audience as we record the podcast. Plus ride shotgun alongside your favorite childhood heroes for live watch alongs, Q and A's and other interactive experiences every single month. Come on now, see for yourself what thousands of other wrestling fans from around the world have discovered that adfreeshows.com is the best value in wrestling. 
Check it out today. And hey, when you do, the first week is completely free at freeshows.com. Hey, everybody. This is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day. Plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen.